Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Time now for the Character and Smallman podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. everyone. Happy Friday Eve from Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Good morning. How you doing? Is it a good morning? It is. I'm fine. Yeah. Everything's good. It's going to cool off a little bit today. Let's check today's high temperature. Oh, please After do. After it gets to 100 on a regular basis. Today's high, Michelle. By the way, Boris Johnson is resigning as the uh, head <laughs> of the prime minister. I just learned that from my phone. Look at this. Uh, we're getting politics. We're getting weather. Yeah, we diversify well, here. Joan and I were having the conversation this morning, and I guess we shouldn't. But how does a guy with hair like Mark Davis get elected as the leader of a country? <laughs> Who knows? Well, uh, <laughs> I guess you don't have to have good hair to become a high-ranking elected official. Clearly. you know what I'm saying. That is the case. All right, today's high is going to be 89 degrees. A little bit cooler today, so I'm happy about that. I'm happy that the Cardinals are finally ending this series with Atlanta. Get them out of there, man. Yeah, Matthew Liberatore, and they're 26-7 and now in their last 33, the Braves are. Matthew Liberatore goes against a guy named Spencer Strider. Great name. It is a really good name. Spencer Schneider. So we'll have that taken care of. We are going to talk to Greg Amzinger. We're going to talk to our friend Brian Jordan. Later in the show, Jeremy Rutherford is in Montreal, where the NHL draft will be held tonight. And Michelle's gotten scoops for us. Well, no, it's just a theory. I, I But I think it's a theory that leads to a scoop. So do you think that I should reveal it now? Yeah, I think or do you, you think should. I should wait until yeah. later? No, we can re- we can repeat this throughout the course of the show. I think it's oh, dramatic. tease this. Let's go. This, this poor guy, because he might have just been doing an innocuous social media scroll. <laughs> Little did he know that it was going to be something I bring up on the radio. But I'm sitting there last night, watching the Cardinals game. I get a notification on my phone. And it says, Vladimir Tarasenko has liked your tweet. And I'm like... What tweet of mine could Vladimir Tarasenko like? Well, you may remember back in the 2019 Stanley Cup parade for your St. Louis Blues, I was with Randy Carricker. We were reporting from the parade route, and there was this video that I had recorded of Vladimir Tarasenko, who was in the crowd with the fans. He was hugging a young man with Down syndrome, signing his jersey. It was just such a sweet and tender moment. The the, the young man was crying. People around him were getting emotional because it just you could tell it meant so much to him and his family to have that interaction with Vladdy. Well, it got picked up from everywhere. It had millions of impressions. Uh, you know, a lot of different media outlets used it because. They're like, this is what sports should be about. This should, this is how players should interact with mm-hmm. their fans. Just genuine love and respect. And that was 2019, the summer of 2019. And I get a like on it last night from Vladimir Tarasenko. Ooh, huh. So I text Randy and and Rocchio and I say, Oh, Vladdy's gone. 
And they're like, what? I'm like, listen, this is a classic case of walking down memory lane. This is the nostalgia mm-hmm. tour. This is looking back on the best moments and saying, I liked that. This is curating your best hits. The highlights from your tenure as a St. Louis Blue. My theory is he's gone. And that was essentially the the text uh so, guys, I think Vladdy is gone. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. Like, literally zero other evidence. Other than, and it could have been him slipping and hitting a like with his thumb. And I'm like, guys, he's gone. Hot scoop. Hot off the press. I even texted my cousin and her husband, Josh. I was like, I think Vladdy's gone. Like, you're crazy. But it comes within six, six to eight hours of both Frank Saravelli and Kevin Weeks. Mm-hmm. Dropping tweets saying that there's, yeah. you know, there's rumors of about Tarasenko being up and there being discussion around him. So... So as soon you, as you said that, what I you're was saying is, I was with it. Yeah. So we've got Kevin Weeks and we've got Frank Cervelli, these guys who who think they're insiders. Then we've got Michelle, who's got <laughs> right. a tweet that was liked by the guy. That's right. Ninety one liked the tweet, or maybe guys, he see. And now I'm gonna counter. I'm talking myself out of it. Maybe he liked the tweet because he's like, that parade was the best day of my professional mm-hmm. career, and I want to stay here. I love Blues fans so much. Look at the parade interaction. Like, I want to stay. Mm-hmm. I think it's a nostalgia tour. I think that he knows that he could potentially be on the move, and he's looking back at. He's probably listening yeah. right now. I know he's streaming. Vladdy, we love you. Yeah. Thank you for listening. But he's probably like, I cannot believe you just <laughs> devoted to how many minutes of this show into trying to analyze social media behavior. But and I screenshotted it and texted it to you guys because I was like, yeah. this could be something. But you heard the, it here first. Yeah, with the draft tonight, and some of the reports are suggesting that the Carolina Hurricanes are interested. Before the draft, you would think that the Blues would want to get those assets, whether to use them or to make another trade, because there's also a lot of speculation that the Flames won't be able to keep Johnny Goodrow around. Johnny Hockey wants a lot of money. And by most accounts, people that observe the Flames, Goodrow and Matthew Kachuk are a package deal. So Mm. if Goodrow goes, Matthew's really not going to want to stick around, and he's a future Blue anyway. That's correct. So... We're just connecting the dots here, and we'll see what happens throughout the course of today in Montreal. And we'll have Jeremy Rutherford later uh, in the show. And I'll throw him my theory at JR and see what he thinks. Perfect theory. Now, let me throw this at you guys. I am not a reporter, but I always said I want to break one story mm-hmm. in my career. If, in fact, Vladimir Tarasenko gets moved, can we say you heard it here first on Character yes. and Smaller? Absolutely, yeah. First to report. Yep. Yeah, that's now, we don't scoop. have any details. We don't know what the what the deal looks like, where the location is. But you heard it here first, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. He liked yeah. the tweet. Uh, Michelle, if we combined the last four Cardinal games, one in Philadelphia and three in Atlanta, we would not get 60-cent drinks at Mobile on the Run. The Cardinals have not scored six runs in their last four games combined to give us those 60-cent drinks, even if that was the game. The last four games. Last four total. Yeah, we've... Uh, we are dehydrated here in St. Louis. <laughs> we are. So against uh, the Phillies on Sunday night, they get shut out 4-0. And then they lose to the Braves 6-3. Then they lose to the Braves 7-1. Then last night, they fall by a score of 3 to nothing. The Cardinals have scored a total of four runs in their last four games. Not great. Not great. No. Now, we said we got to get them out of Atlanta. We need to just get them off the road, period, yeah. as the kids say. Get these boys home. Maybe they'll have better fortunes at Bush Stadium. But we need to get some guys healthy. We need to get some guys back. But, Randy, the Cardinals are in a bad way right now. They really are. Last night, Miles Michaelis looking pretty good uh, with Max Freed of Atlanta through four innings. The game was scoreless. And then in the fifth, the Cardinals got burned by one of their former teammates, Marcel Ozuna. 
A drive to left, well struck, back that goes, it's gone! Marcel Ozuna with a solo homer. And the Braves are on the board first. It's one to nothing, Atlanta. And they wound up winning by a score of three to nothing. Mike Michaelis was fine. The bullpen was was fine. Eddie Rosario hit a home run. Travis Darno drove one in, and the Cardinals fall for the sixth time in seven games. Not great. Not great. And conversely, the Braves, only two and a half games behind the Mets. They're 26-7 and seven since June 1st. At that point, they were 10 and a half games behind the Mets. They are surging and looking like the World Series champions. Yeah, they are. And Marcelo Zuna, by the way, that was his 17th homer of the year. He's got 17 homers and 35 RBIs. And I asked you, Michelle, before the show started, and I just want to have people take this into consideration. Just from a baseball perspective, since the Cardinals made the trade for Marcelo Zuna, He's had 23, and ho- eight, 23 homers, 88 RBIs for the Cardinals, 758 OPS, 29 and 89 with an 800 OPS in his second and final year with the Cardinals, led the league with 18 homers and 56 RBIs in the COVID year for the Braves, and then last year before the incident, had seven homers and 26 RBIs for Atlanta, but that was only through 208 plate appearances. And then this year, 17 and 35 halfway through the season on pace for 34 and more than 70, I would think. More than 34, more than 70. Just from a a purely on-field perspective, what the Cardinals got him for was to hit the ball out of the ballpark. If he he were doing that for the Cardinals, I wouldn't feel as bad about Sandy Alcantara doing what he's doing for the the Marlins. That's true. Um, However... I am going back in time and remembering that it was not all sunshine and roses no, and home no. runs with Marcelo Ozuna during his tenure with the St. Louis Cardinals. And yes, there was production there, but I, I remember John Mosellock's comments that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink about him addressing his injuries. You mentioned the incident, uh, domestic battery and aggravated assault. That's not something that the Cardinals want to deal with or in their organization. And he wasn't a reliable player all the time no. for the Cardinals. And if you if you get that production, it's one thing, but I understand why the, why the Cardinals weren't interested in bringing him back, even that, though he wanted yeah. to return. It's one of the few instances where the Cardinals due diligence in investigating a player's off-the-field activities before they trade for him, a, a, a big, high-profile player, where it was inaccurate. And I, I think that, that that happened with Brett Cecil, too. But when you look at Matt Holliday and Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado uh, and Chris Carpenter when the Cardinals got him, they've done a pretty good job generally with getting people but there have been a couple of real misses. Now, obviously, there have been real misses in terms of players uh, when, when you're signing people like Brett Cecil to a contract and Andrew Miller, really good guy, but just couldn't pitch anymore. But that one, uh, especially when you give up what you gave up for Marcelo Zuna, that one really hurts. But again, let's go back in time to the moment. Needed it's it. still yep. reeling from Oscar Tavares. That outfield was a carousel. The guy that they assumed was going to be the future and their anchor wasn't in the picture anymore. And I think that they, Jason Hayward, not there, there either. I think that they were really desperate to find somebody that they thought from a production standpoint could yep. be stable for them. And at the time, Marcelo Zuna seemed like a really good fit. Yeah, it was on the day that trade was made, I was really, really happy with it. One other note from yesterday. 
The long American nightmare finally over Michelle as Baker Mayfield does get traded by the Cleveland Browns to the Carolina Panthers for a conditional pick, a fifth rounder that becomes a fourth rounder if he plays more than 70% of the snaps for the Panthers. He joins fellow 2018 draftee Sam Darnold. Baker Mayfield was first, Darnold was third, and those two will vie for position as the Panthers quarterback. And there's an old adage in football that if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one, and that's where the Panthers are right now. Yes. And they have actually four guys, I think. Yeah, They have a collection of yeah. dudes. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know about you, Randy, but I'm going to cheer for Baker Mayfield. I hope that he has success in Carolina. I think that, I, I don't know, maybe it's because the Rams were so bad for so long, and I look back mm-hmm. to Sam Bradford, and I think that you can have all the talent in the world, and if you're in a toxic workplace environment or you're in an organization that doesn't know how to put you in the best position to succeed it reflects poorly on you and it might not highlight what you can do as a player and even though the Browns during Baker Mayfield's tenure were not really comparable to what was happening with the St. Louis Rams and Sam Bradford had a lot of injury stuff Baker Mayfield played through injury Mm -hmm. how many coordinators did he have during his time there how many head coaches did he have during his time there he did not have smooth sailing and I think that he's a really talented guy and in no way deserved the way the Browns treated him towards the end and I hope that he basically I don't like the Cleveland Browns and I hope that Baker Mayfield goes to Carolina and stunts on him I think that would be wonderful. And I think one of the things that we, not we, they, and this is what makes the Browns the Browns, right, is that he is a year removed from taking the Cleveland Browns to an 11-5 and record and a win in a playoff game. This guy did that for them. And now they can't wait to get rid of him. And then last year he played injured the yeah, entire right. year. Exactly, yeah. He's the only player in Browns history to throw for 3,000 yards in four consecutive seasons. He had a carousel of, of personnel and coaches that were happening around him all the time. I think because he was the number one overall pick and because we see him on the commercials living in the stadium, more is expected of him without giving the proper context about the situation that he's in. And the Browns did him really dirty. Maybe he had some conflict in the locker room or wasn't the perfect leader all the time, but I just don't think that he should have been treated the way that he was. I'm with you. uh, he, He deserved better than Cleveland provided him no doubt about it that's michelle i'm randy we're off and running here on 101 espn coming up get your text into the air comfort service text line 65780 sick of it we're right back to the character and smallman podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn i'm over it sharon i can't take this no more i am done i'm sick of it do you hear me sick of it i can't take it anymore these people are the worst. Carriker and Smallman are sick of it. We welcome your text, 65780. Michelle, I don't know if you saw this, but Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, is putting together an advisory panel to discuss the feasibility of putting a dome on Soldier Field that would cost taxpayers in Chicago between... $400 million and $1.5 billion. Obviously, the wow. state of New York has acquiesced to the bill's request for a new billion-dollar-plus stadium. I'm just sick after what happened with the Rams and us offering public money and them turning it down. I'm sick of cities offering NFL teams so much money to stay in their little municipalities. I'm sick of that, too. 
It's ridiculous. Yeah, the, the NFL, in my opinion, when they allowed the Rams to leave and spend their own money to build a stadium while turning down public money in St. Louis, the NFL told all municipalities, look, we're good. We don't need your money. We can build our own. Yeah, we've got the capital. We can yeah. get it done. Yeah. Yeah, and as if Illinois doesn't have anything else they could use that exactly. money towards. Yeah, I the mean, city of Chicago. Yeah, the city of Chicago. Come on. That's ridiculous. It really is. Yeah. So I'm sick of it. But you know what? It's going to happen. We're addicted to football. Well, it's definitely going to happen. If, if, if I'm Chicago, though, if, I, if I'm a resident of Chicago and I say, oh, they're moving to Arlington Heights and building their own stadium, I'm fine with that. If, if, if they're still in the metro, if they're still the Chicago Bears, I'm, I'm fine with that. They don't have to be in downtown Chicago. I disagree because I my best girlfriend from college lives in Arlington Heights. It's an hour away. It, like if I'm thinking as a sports fan, if I want to go mm-hmm. to a Bears game, I want to go to Chicago. I want to be able to stay in the city, go to the restaurants, take the train to a game, be on the lake. If you're in Arlington Heights, you're not in Chicago. We had a guy that came to every single tailgate to St. Louis because he loved football from Chicago. There's a lot of people that drove in here. Three, there's people that drive three hours to go to football games all the time. Right, but I'm saying if I want to make a weekend out of it mm-hmm. as an outsider, I don't want to have to fly into Chicago, drive and rent a car, drive mm-hmm. an hour out into some random suburb, right. rent a hotel. Then you know it's just. Well, that's what's happening. If you're going to a Chiefs game, that's what you're doing. But I just think if you're in a great city like Chicago, you mm-hmm. should want your stadiums to be in the city because there's so much for you to offer and your fans. What it comes down to is, do you want a billion and a half dollar taxpayer funded stadium when you have the crime and school problems they have in Chicago or an hour drive? Well, that's Eight why the NFL should be able to pay for all that stuff themselves. Exactly. I right. mean, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. But again, they're not thinking about the fans. They're yeah. not thinking. They're the, thinking about taxpayers. They're not thinking. Yeah, of course not. They're not thinking about anybody but themselves and the, their own bank accounts. But yeah, they're not thinking logistically. What a nightmare if we move to Arlington Heights. Because no. I, I mean, I know you could take the train out there, too, but it's just su- trust me. It sucks when I go to Chicago. I have to tell my suburb friends, you've got to come to me <laughs> because it is such an odyssey to get there. It's unbelievable. It's, yeah. it's not easy to navigate no. the burbs out there. No, I have a friend that lives in Chicagoland, and it's a quicker drive for him to go to Milwaukee games for, to see the Cardinals than to Wrigley Field. It is a straight shot if you yeah. go to Milwaukee from, from downtown Chicago. It's not bad at all. Um, Randy, you know what I'm sick of? I am sick of the Angels. I am really sick of the Angels. First, you have a generational talent like Mike Trout, who's who's stuck with this team and we never get to see. Then you have Shohei Otani, who is one of the single most impressive athletes that maybe we will ever see. And no one in this country is watching him. No one is getting exposure to what we are seeing with Shohei Otani. He might be better than he was last year. He's not allowed an earned run over his last 28 and two-thirds innings pitched. Think about that for a second. He extended it last night with a win. He extended his streak of starts without an earned run to four games. I'm going to repeat. 20 and two-thirds innings pitched. Not one earned run. And this guy is going yard all the time. It is a sports crime that we don't get to watch Shohei Otani all the time. And I'm sick of it. It's unbelievable that, A, we don't get to see him all the time. And, B... That team is seven games behind in the wildcard race. Seven games out of a playoff spot right now. The Angels are 38 and 45, and they've been bad with those guys. And they were bad with Albert when he was there. They were, it's one of the stupidest organizations in sports in that 
They they have Otani, but they don't support him with quality starting pitching. And I always go back to the offseason when they signed Rendon to a $240 million contract. And Garrett Cole from Orange County, and he goes to the Yankees for 324. If you're the Angels and you've wasted this much money, why sign Anthony Rendon for 240 when for another 80 million you could have signed 90 million, I guess. You could have signed Garrett Cole and actually fixed the problems that you do have. And Artie Moreno, we know he loves to collect stars. Garrett Cole's a star. A big star. And yeah. he's going to be effective yeah. for you in an area of need. Yeah. Ridiculous. But this is why I think baseball is never going to be able to compete with the NBA or with the NFL because the schedules are so dense and you only have time to really watch your team. If there was a player that was doing something in the NFL or the NBA that's comparable to what Shohei Otani is doing in baseball, we as a collective sports community in America would have a primetime game where we could all sit down and watch it. But even if you're a Cardinals fan and they're on Sunday Night Baseball, you're watching your team play. For the most part, Michelle, I think last night the Cardinal-Braves game was one of five non-Sunday games that ESPN is showing all season long. ESPN didn't even show games on the 4th of July. They were showing Wimbledon on the 4th. And national TV couldn't care less about baseball. I watch TNT and Steph Curry's coming on for a 9 o'clock game on Thursday night. I'm actually going to watch that. Mm -hmm. But I don't even have access to Shohei Otani. Ridiculous. Sick of it. Yeah. Uh, uh, Matthew, that's your name. Matthew Rocchio. No, it's Rocchio. Oh, Rocchio. Yeah, Rock. What do you got on the text line? Speaking of which, I'm sick of the Rock. Never thought I'd say that, but the version of this this version of the XFL is a joke right now. Yeah, I don't even know what it is. I don't think anybody does. Maybe they do in the XFL, but yeah, it's and the fact that the USFL is coming back next season does not bode well for that XFL. Yeah, this is extremely disappointing. I think when we all got word that the Rock was going to be taking over the XFL, we thought it was going to be successful because mm-hmm. everything the rock touches seemingly turns to gold but i just don't understand this business plan and i don't understand how they think it's going to be beneficial for them or successful for them to not announce the teams and the cities when we're here on july 7th and you want to start in spring of 2023 yeah you want to start the week after the super bowl and we here at 101 espn matthew has tried every avenue to try to get somebody from the XFL on our show, and we get no response whatsoever. I mean, they don't even respond to emails. How many emails do you think you sent them? Total or like a, a round, like my rounds. I think I've sent. I think I've sent like four rounds, and like I went from sending like to f- four people the first round to like six people or eight people the, by the fourth round. So I mean, it's been it's been like thirty. It's been like thirty emails. Thirty emails and, from from the the best market that you had during the last iteration yep, and, of the F- XFL. Yep, and the the top show in the best market and top somebody that show. works yeah. for the Battle Hawks. Yeah, and I try to go direct. I try to go directly to people that we have been reported will be on the staff for the St. Louis team yeah. and while they're doing press about the XFL and other non-St. Louis and this is the cities coach, the, the guy that played tight end here what, yeah, Anthony Beck, I, Anthony he, Beck they, yeah. he won't respond to me about coming onto the show he's talked about the XFL in two other markets where he probably will not be coaching and for some so, reason doesn't want to talk to the you know you know the, the best fans in XFL I would suggest that as we sit here on July 7th that because of the fact that that franchise, what if they do have an XFL franchise in St. Louis, they're going against, number one, the new MLS team, which has done everything right, and number two, the Cardinals, and the Blues, that's number three, you're going head-to-head schedule-wise with those three fran- St. Louis franchises, that team has no chance. Great. 
Just <laughs> Let's get one more, Matthew. I'm sick of seeing Matt Carpenter hit home runs while wearing a Yankees uniform. He couldn't hit anything for five years. Now he's an all-star. I'm sick of it. Hey, give the credit to him. Yeah. And it's I, I I don't know if it might be a Cardinal thing. I don't know. We'd love to find out, though, wouldn't you? Yeah, but the fact of the matter is he did take it upon himself to fix himself, and I give him all the credit. He really dedicated himself to this during the offseason, if you haven't, which at this point I'm surprised you haven't read it, but go read Ken Rosenthal. It was Ken Rosenthal, right? Yep. His his piece on the journey to remake Matt Carpenter, and he did everything from seeing Matt Holiday, analyzing his video. He he remade a swing, his stance. He changed the way he worked out. He got a new bat. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he really sought the advice and counsel from experts in every corner of this country in order to try to find himself again. And he did. And for a lot of people, they would do something like that. And maybe their body just didn't have it anymore. Yeah. Maybe age had finally caught up with them. But... I'm really happy for Matt Carpenter because he's a great guy and a great player and he deserves to have success. Mark 50 at bats. He has a 300 batting average of 1.227 OPS. He has hit eight home runs and has driven in 18. So good for him. That's Michelle and Matthew. I'm Randy. Coming up, Greg Amsinger, MLB Network, talking a little all-star and more here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line where Greg Amzinger of MLB Network is standing by. Of course, Greg is a product of Lindenwood University and is a native of St. Louis. He's a big Cardinal fan and has a very compelling and thought-provoking show on MLB Network. Greg, good morning. Great to have you with us. And I was compelled and thought-provoked last night when you and Harold and Dan Plesak were talking about who should start the All-Star game. And I am on Team Harold and Greg here. Uh, thank you. I, I I was initially on Team Dan, and if people don't know what we're talking about, Dan believes it is an accolade that t- you take with you to Cooperstown to start an All Star game, and Sandy Alcantara deserves that accolade. And I think he's right. He has been the best pitcher, in my opinion, in the National League. Harold thinks this is a really long three hour commercial for Major League Baseball. We want to draw fans to the game, and his take is it's in L.A. Clayton Kershaw, with the sub-3 ERA, granted he's only made 10 starts, should start this game because he was robbed of starting a Midsummer Classic in 2013 from Matt Harvey, uh, who got that in New York. He believes Kershaw should start the All-Star game because it's in L.A. against Shohei Otani, who could end up doing it anyway. His last four starts have been amazing. So I initially went with Dan because this is stuff that's on plaques in, in the Hall of Fame, but I'm with Harold now. The game doesn't matter. We're trying to grow the game. And could you imagine the first at-bat of the game, Clayton Kershaw in L.A., Dodger Stadium, facing the opposing pitcher who's leading off the game, Shohei Otani. I was swayed by that idea, and I'm with Harold on this one. Yeah, I'm with you, Greg. That sounds awesome. And the more exposure that America can get to Shohei Otani, the better. This guy is ridiculous. We just talked the last segment about how awful it is that more people in the country aren't watching him. Hasn't allowed an earned run over his last 28 and two-thirds innings pitched. Incredible. 
He's got the best stuff in baseball with Jacob DeGrom, not in the big leagues. It's on 101 miles an hour, painting on the black. He's got the best split finger we've seen in forever. All of his pitches, he was throwing frisbee sliders last night, a breaking ball that buckled the knees of Aviciel Garcia. He is the best baseball player in the world. That is not an overstatement. I I tend to go over the top on certain points, but this is not one of them. He is the best baseball player on the planet. He has 10 stolen bases. And all this talk of, you know, Aaron Judge has got 29 homers to 30 homers now after what he did last night. Uh, you know, he's still the front runner for MVP. It's a great MVP conversation. But if I told you, you know, Shohei Otani is 12 home runs and 11 RBIs behind Aaron Judge. That's considerable, right? It's considerable. But if, if I told that player that that is you know, 11 home runs or 12 home runs, and 11 RBIs behind a player, that if you wanted to catch that player to be the MVP, just pitch like Garrett Cole. If you could, if you could go to the mound and pitch like Garrett Cole, uh, that would probably catch the guy that you're 12 home runs and 11 RBIs behind. That is what he's doing. He's better than Garrett Cole. He's better than the ace of the best team in baseball. That is how ridiculously talented he is. He's going to steal over 20 bags. He's going to hit over 30 home runs. He's going to have an OPS around 850, and he's the best pitcher in the American League right now. We're never going to see this again. I, I make my poor 12-year-old son London, every time he's pitching, I text him. I'm like, are you watching? Are, are you watching? <laughs> like, you you, you got to watch because you're never going to see this again if you don't appreciate it. Don't take greatness for granted. I reminded myself that when Michael Jordan came back from retirement. Every Jordan game that was on that I could watch, I made sure I watched it. And I'm glad I did. Otani is the same thing right now for baseball. Is there another unicorn on the horizon in the Pirates shortstop O'Neill Cruz? I love him. I love him. I mean, I, I threw the comparison because I like the little nuances of the game that aren't the obvious. Everybody loves home runs. The guys throw 100 miles an hour. Uh, so Otani's great. I totally get that. But when you see O'Neill Cruz throw a baseball, and, and I know you guys as, as baseball nuts like I am will agree, it, the comparison that I made was Sean Dunstan. Sean Dunstan, the former Cubs shortstop, former number one overall pick, had the greatest throwing arm I've ever seen from a shortstop. He would crow hop till he was about eight feet away from poor Mark Rips and throw 110 miles an hour in the dirt. And somehow Mark Rips, who I hope was wearing a cup, would dig <laughs> that out of the dirt at Wrigley Field. It was amazing to watch. O'Neill Cruz doesn't need to crow hop to do that. He's throwing 98 miles an hour off his back foot in the hole as a shortstop. He's six foot seven. He flies. He runs like the wind. He hasn't even developed his bat yet, and he's going to. We're looking at a 30 homer, 40 stolen base, potential gold glove shortstop, and this is what we've needed for the Pittsburgh Pirates to to, to have that 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 shiny star that gives us a reason to want to watch. I thought Key Brian Hayes would be that. Key Brian Hayes is a really good player. He's going to win gold gloves at third base, but he's never going to be a power bat. He's a better version of his dad. That's cool. I mean, Charlie Hayes is a really good player. Uh, he's a good player. Brian Reynolds is a good player in center field. I still think he gets traded to a team that needs a center fielder, a.k.a. the Phillies. But they needed their crown jewel, and I think a six foot seven shortstop who can run, has a cannon for an all smiles and loves to play and anytime baseball can add 
a video game-esque player. What I mean by that is my, my son loves playing MLB The Show. And when I see these players that he creates, like he, he creates the hair and he creates, you know, a six-foot-seven chiseled body, the waist, and, you know, these, 100 speed and 100 power and 100 arm. I'm like, London, that, this doesn't exist in the game. But now it does. We've got Fernando Tatis Jr. And now we got we got Odeo Cruz. This is good for baseball. When we've got superheroes playing baseball, that's good for the sport. Hey, Greg, you reminded me of one of the great Whitey Herzog lines, and there are a lot of them. But 40 years ago in the 1982 draft, you mentioned Sean Dunstan was the number one pick by the Cubs. Dwight Gooden went number five to the Mets, and Whitey used to say that the Cubs considered taking Gooden first overall, but they decided to go with the guy with the better arm. (laughs) (laughs) Who, by the way... Who, by the way, is one of the sweetest people you will ever meet. I know, Randy, I know you know Sean. Yep. I've had numerous guys tell me of all the teammates I've ever had, Sean Dunstan was their favorite teammate. My my best teammate, Sean Dunstan. I hear that constantly. He was so good, but because he was such a humble guy, I don't know if he knew how good he was. And, and sometimes when you're the guy, you got to know you're that good. I'm getting ready for the draft, which I'm going to host uh, just Sunday night before the All-Star game in, in Los Angeles. I'm scouring and I'm, I'm getting a chance to talk to a lot of these kids. The kid Drew Jones knows he's good. He's going to go number one. The Orioles are going to take him. He's Andrew Jones' son. The bloodline thing matter. I think that is that is the pixie dust. That's the difference. You know, Sean Dustin didn't have a dad who was a first-round pick or is a, a fringy Hall of Famer. When you have that that father, the bloodlines that connect you to the game, you, you kind of know you belong. And, and that's why the Vladdy Juniors are destined for, for stardom. Jack Leiter will probably end up having more wins than the 168 wins he had Al Leiter had. They're just – they know they belong. And Sean – Sean Dunstan didn't know how great he was. And I think that's the difference maker. Drew Jones knows, and that's why he'll probably be number one. Greg, we've had an overwhelmingly positive interview with you today. So <laughs> let's pivot and talk about the St. Louis Cardinals, who <laughs> lost last night 3 nothing to the Braves. They've dropped six of their last seven. They clearly need some starting pitching help. I know you've thought about this. Who would you like the Cardinals to go out there and acquire? Well, I mean, Frankie Montas until he went on the shelf. And that was such a, a silly move by the Oakland A's. What are you waiting for? If this guy's healthy and he's dominating the New York Yankees, trade him right after the game. Like, right when he's done with his post-game interview, trade him. <laughs> what are you waiting for? I mean, pitching is such a fickle thing. Uh, these guys get injured all the time. There are arms that are out there. I think Luis Castillo just vaults to the number one spot. But he gets so many teams in after him. The Reds cannot mess that up. They literally cannot mess that up. There's a pitcher for the Colorado Rockies that I've had my eye on, Chad Cool. He's missing barrels, and if you're pitching in Colorado and you got a sub-4 ERA and you look confident on the mound and half your games are at Coors Field, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Take him out of there and see what he can do. You won't have to pay the hefty price. Uh, they're going to have to go get an arm. And tonight's start, I think, is a big one for uh, Matthew Libertor. I think this young guy needs to come out in Atlanta and show that he belongs in the rotation. They're going to watch his innings anyway towards the end in September, so you're going to have to get an arm uh, because of that. But I want him to be a significant part of this team. He's got the talent to do it. His herky-jerky mechanics make him an uncomfortable at-bat, and I think he could become a real big weapon for the Cardinals down the line. They're going to get an arm. Uh, but they're going to be shopping for the same pitchers everyone seems to be shopping for right now. The one thing I will say to this, guys, and I know 
uh, you know, Ali Marmel had this conversation with him, and, and I know we're all really smart Cardinal baseball fans, but Michelle, be honest. Were you cool with Albert Pools dragging his bat back to the dugout to Nolan Gorman, who hasn't hit yet that, that, that night, and Pools has got two hits. He's feeling himself a little bit. I get it. The numbers say bring Gorman to the plate there. Were we okay with that? Are we okay with that? Don't you think being one of the four greatest right-handed hitters in the history of the game gives you the green light when you have two hits already that you maybe, maybe he's the exception to the analytical matchup rule. And I know they had to talk with him before, but if he's two for three, you let Albert Pujols hit in that situation. Am I the only one in the room that thinks this way? Uh, Greg, I, I respectfully disagree with you. I, I look at what Albert has done against right-handers this year, and he, he's hitting 135 with a 502 OPS against right-handers. He just yeah. can't hit against right-handed pitching anymore. And so I would have, I, I would have brought Gorman up too. I, I want Albert Pools to be the fillet to right field, the the fillet to right field. They slider him to death, Randy. And I understand 135 batting average is terrible, but when he's got two hits. He feels like he's contributing again. He's getting his mojo back. I I don't want Nolan Gorman up there with his A-hack for three straight at-bats who rolls over and hits a ground ball to end the inning. I want a guy that just wants to get a hit. I want a guy who, you know, 2003 all over again with the bases loaded facing a nasty closer who throws a slider away and he's not taking his A-hack and he hits a little floater over the first baseman's head down the line. That was what Albert Pools can do. And I get it, the numbers and the matchups that came for everyone else. If you're going to have Albert Pools on your roster, then you've got to sometimes, when he's got two hits, when he's got two hits, let the Hall of Famer, who's a different breed than everyone else that's in your dugout, he's a Hall of Famer, let him go against the matchup and let him go to the plate. I was very upset by that. I kept it to myself, didn't say it on the air, but I'm saying it now. <laughs> All right. Hey, Greg, I want to get a, a take from you as well, because you watch every team, and this is not necessarily an excuse. I get, guess in part it is, but it is a fact that the Cardinals' opening day lineup included Yadier Molina and Paul DeYoung and Harrison Bader and Tyler O'Neill. And for the last month, Half of those guys have not been in the lineup month or more. How many teams in Major League Baseball that you watch every night could lose half of their starting eight and keep it going for a month or more? I mean, the one thing that comes to mind, the Tampa Bay Rays. Mm-hmm. The Rays have just been completely depleted. Their arms are just gone. Uh, the, their bullpen has been completely revamped from guys that they already have in the farm system. And they've lost so many significant bats along the way. Wander Rockle, their best player, hasn't played a ton of games at all. Uh, but they're keeping it afloat because they've just got the mag- that magic pixie dust in, in St. Petersburg, Florida. It has been a significant drop. I mean, Paul DeYoung gave them nothing. No. Gave, gave them, them nothing. But but as I say that, did anyone expect Brendan Donovan to have an on-base percentage over 400 and essentially be one of the best utility guys in all of baseball? I don't know if anybody saw that coming. I think the biggest uh, two, two guys are really missing. Yadier Molina. Uh, is is no longer what he used to be. And eventually, you can't expect someone to, to, to be in the squad 130 times around the age of 40. I think he would even tell you he showed up this year and he wasn't in his best shape. We, we've seen Yachty in sick shape. He wasn't in his best shape. He knew this was the swan song. Now he's on the shelf. And I don't know what you're going to get from him. But it's really the IQ of Yachty or Molina that you're missing. 
the instincts of Yadier Molina that you're missing. That stuff makes a major impact. In the inverse, people are wondering what happened to the New York Yankees. Why are the Yankees so much better? Gary Sanchez isn't putting the fingers down, people. I mean, he never had a feel for that. He never had a feel for that. They shipped him off to Minnesota. He DHs a lot. He also catches a lot. But Rocco Baldelli has, has forcefully managed what goes on behind the plate as the manager of the Twins, taking that out of Gary Sanchez's hands. So they've got guys that have an instinct. Higashioka has been terrific. Trevino has been terrific. Not having Yachty's instincts behind the plate, significant impact. But to me, the biggest impact, Tyler O'Neill was their best player last year. He was their best mm-hmm. all-around player. And he's been, on a scale of 1 to 10, they've gotten a 2 out of him. If you're being kind, they get a two out of him. So when you're missing your best player, the fact that they're four games over, this has been a grueling road trip. The Braves are a machine right now, like the Astros. I, they got by this second half. You'll see this team really start to surge. They got to get O'Neill healthy, and they got to get got to get Yadier Molina sitting down much more with the catching that got in-house. And, and Kisner needs to really start reading the Yachty Bible and yep. trying to incorporate some of that feel because that, to me, is what they're missing the most. Finally, Greg, we would be remiss if we didn't ask you how you're hitting the golf ball these days. You know, I, I, I went to the Homestead Resort, 4th of July weekend. Google this thing. It's in Hot Springs, Virginia. Um, I mean, George Washington stayed there. Ronald Reagan stayed there. I mean, Ronald Reagan had some of the greatest hair of all times. Greg Amsinger needed to stay there. So they had two amazing golf courses, the Cascades, which Sam Snead developed, one of the greatest golfers of all time. You want to watch a YouTube video of a great golfer putting? Watch Sam Snead putt. It was the corniest, weirdest thing you've ever seen in your life. But they also had another course called the Old Course. And I shot in the 80s all weekend. I played... I played pretty well. Randy, I'm ready for you. The last time I played, I wasn't. But the next time we hook up and play golf, you better you better forget your wallet in the car. That's all I'm saying, Randy. That's all I'm saying. Big boy, my last two rounds have been in the 80s, too, so I think we're going to be competitive. Ah, we should televise this. We're going to Valley Sports. <laughs> Pay-per-view. Where's the, the match. Where's Alexa, where's Alexa Dat? She'll call it. She'll call it. My former colleague at MLB Network. Uh, you know what? Alexa Dat will be calling it. Dan McLaughlin will be walking with a headset right behind us, whispering while we're playing. Oh, that's and, what I'm, I'm dreaming. And Michelle's going to be the Charles Barkley. <laughs> yeah, our swings are the same. <laughs> that, we got a show. We got a show. I think we can make this happen. You're the best. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> Take care, guys. We'll see you later. That is the great Greg Amzinger from MLB Network. A lot of fun stuff always with Greg, and we appreciate him joining us every Thursday. Next up, get your text in. It's Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Take it or leave it on 101 ESPN. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle Smallman, Matthew Rocchio, Randy Carricker, And Michelle, over the weekend, James Harden, Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey in the Hamptons at a party. Mm -hmm. They welcomed P.J. Tucker to Philly. At the celebration were Meek Mill and Drake and Travis Scott, Miguel and others. 
uh, take it or leave it, when the photo was taken, Michelle was going to get hors d'oeuvres. Leave it. Leave it. I was not there. I was not oh. at the white party. No. I was in a stranger's backyard listening to Diplo, That's who had a, a set there. That. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that at One all. One of the weirdest moments of my entire life. I was like, is that Diplo up there on the second floor on the deck? Yeah, it was. Don't know how much that costs these people, but uh, hey, it was fun. He's very talented. No, I feel like if I was at the white party, though, Mm -hmm. I would be so awkward because everyone there is an A-plus list celebrity. Mm -hmm. How do you casually work your way into one of those conversations? You know what I mean? It's it's hard to... To get into that, to crack that social circle. You can't just mm-hmm. go up and say to Meek Mill, hey, the shrimp are great. You should try it. You know what I mean? That's exactly what you say to Meek Mill. I don't you think just, so. You just walk up and just go, that's a cool jacket. You want some shrimp? And just no. see what happens. You just got to be reg- regular people without food. He doesn't. Meek of Mill, money. Like, here's a tip. Meek Mill doesn't want to talk shrimp with no. me. With Meek Mill, what you do is you go up and say, hey, happy 4th of July. Here, Free- freedom is great, isn't it? We love freedom. <laughs> Must be nice. Here is the tip. Jason Tatum was at the white party. You go up to Jason Tatum. We're from St. Louis. We're That's talking Red plan. Hot Ripplets. We're talking Nelly. We're talking St. Louis Cardinals. He is going to get you in with Meek Mill. Jason Tatum is our entry point at the white party. By the way, uh, Jason has a new girlfriend. Are you on board? Are you okay with her? I, I don't know about this. She man. is a singer. Uh, I will get her name for you. Isn't the whole thing is that it's not new? It's just been under right, wraps but now it's for a long uh, now time. there's photos and he's yeah. oh yeah, is he's, it LMI? They've been together it, for a long it. time. Yeah, but now he's yeah. There, there's photos all over the world. Now Apparently they've been, they've been able to keep it under wraps until yeah. until now for to the to the major like paparazzi and general public. People yeah. are like, wait, he's been dating a girl for like two three years. Oh, so you mean they're booed up? Yeah, they're booed up. Yeah, there you go. That's, That's it. one of her songs, guys. I don't think okay. you, you know that. Got that. Anyway, okay, so I have a story for you. Let's actually this plays really well into the story about the white party there's a a show right now that's casting about men who have um extremely large male anatomy Mm -hmm. it's called too large to love Hmm. too large to love Hmm. a recent survey found that nearly half of the male population wishes that they had a larger male anatomy that's it so <laughs> half of the male population. And so this documentary series wants to find out if having a larger male anatomy leads to a better life. Take it or leave it. Too large to love, you're going to watch it. Oh, I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt about it. Yeah, I, I, I just want to see if, if that is indeed the case, if you can be too large to love. It says that there's a lot of hidden problems uh, that men who are living with this, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to call it a, an issue or condition, mm-hmm. uh, that they face daily and that they want to bring light to some of the problems that they deal with. <laughs> I, I'm definitely watching. Uh, doesn't that seem like built-in content for us? Yeah, it does. It really <laughs> does, yeah. My diamond teeth broke my toothbrush and my gold shoes are too heavy. So I wonder if Greg Oden makes his way onto this show. <laughs> Just wondering. Perhaps. Yeah. Maybe we'll Greg see. Olson? Maybe. That Miami rap is still legendary. Take it or leave it. Greg and Randy's golf match should be aired on ESPN 8, the Ocho. Oh, no doubt about it. And Joe Vit- strategy, Cotton. Joe Vitale's on the call. Yeah. Really good good idea, yeah. <laughs> We've been saying we need to get Vitale and Amzinger on something broadcast-wise, and here it is. We can put put Mike up, Greg and Amzinger, and have him and Joey doing commentary back and forth while he's golfing. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals need a starter before the All-Star break. Well, oh, I'll, I'll take yeah, it. I'll take I, it. I, yeah. 
I would like them to get one tonight. That would be awesome. Yeah. Last year, the first starting pitcher, and I, I had it yesterday, but I, I have lost it now. But uh, last year, the first starting pitcher that was traded between the first major league starting pitcher that was traded between the end of the winter meetings and the All-Star break. The first one was traded a week before the All-Star break. Mm. So it's just, now Sean and I got traded right to the end of spring training this year. But my guess is, is that Montas, especially because they don't know what his shoulder situation is going to be, but I guess he probably doesn't move until the final week before the All-Star break. And I can't imagine that any other quality starter would. Take it or leave the out. Alcantara Ozuna trade will go down as the worst trade in Cardinal history when it's all said and done. Uh, I don't know. That Keith Hernandez trade where you got Neil Allen and Rick Ombi turned out not great. Uh, Steve Carlton for Rick Wise. I'm going to leave it. I'm just going to, on the... On the basis of the fact that Steve Carlton has 4,000 strikeouts and more than 300 wins and he's in the Hall of Fame and has a couple of world championships, I'm going to go with that one. Yeah, Sandy Alcantara, very good. Um, Zach Gallen, one of the best young pitchers in the game. Mm-hmm. I understand that that one stings for the Cardinals, but I, I just keep going back to, at the time, what they needed. Yeah, they got what right. they needed. Yeah. And you know what? We, we tend to focus on that, but we never talk about what the Cardinals gave up for Arenado or for Willie McGee, or for Paul Goldschmidt, or for Lou Brock. The Cardinals have dominated out of trade, so it's an upset in the last 50 years when they don't win a trade. I also think had you made that deal and it completely derailed your organization, that that's one thing. But the Cardinals are still an making the playoffs. They're still in a position to win the division right now. Yep. They still have an, an entirely new crop of young players, including young pitchers that are coming through. So I think for a lot of other organizations, you make that deal, you lose a gallon, you lose a Sandy Alcantara, that's a major problem for you. Mm -hmm. But the Cardinals just keep on buzzing, so I don't think it's that big of a deal. Take it or leave it. No moves from the Blues tonight. Leave it. I'm going to say that uh, the the aggressive Doug Armstrong makes a move. I think Doug Armstrong is going to make a move, too. Hey, two things have happened here over the course of the last couple of months. After the season, Craig Berube said, he he said with his voice in a press conference, we aren't going to score as many goals next year. Then Vladimir Tarasenko likes (laughs) a a tweet by Michelle from three years ago Uh where he is experiencing one of the highlights of his athletic life in the Blues Parade. It is absolutely, Michelle, a trip down memory lane for Vladdy, who knows that there is a move afoot. Do you think that Vladdy is is playing the long game here, though, and knew that if he liked my tweet from 2019 from the parade last night, that it would get me into a tizzy and lead me to talk about it and maybe signal some drama? I mean, do we think that... He was thinking, oh, this is somebody who's hosting a show in St. Louis. I'm going to go ahead and like this one. Or do we think he accidentally was just like, oh, that was a great day. Nostalgia. Gonna miss St. Louis. Like. Do we think Do we think this was deliberate? I totally think it was deliberate. The more I think about it, the more I think that this is just the move that somebody who's feeling nostalgic makes. This is what I do sometimes, Randy, when I'm thinking about college, I'll go back and I'm like, oh, look at these folks. Man, it was so fun and fancy free. The the best times. Like these photos. I'll screenshot them, send them to my friends. We're talking. That's what I felt like last night when he liked that tweet. And I went and looked at his other tweets and he hadn't liked anything new in a long time. Mm. So I'm just saying. 
Just well, saying. I like the due diligence We're all over here. this, yeah. Oh, don't worry. I did my research, guys. I wasn't going to just text you willy-nilly. I made sure to, to see what he was liking. Take it or leave it. Alcantara would always be hurt and never pitch if he was still with the Cardinals. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely the case. He'd still have a high uh, walk rate. would still be astronomical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it'd, be, it'd be crazy. Take it or leave it. It's finally time for the Cardinals to trade for Jake Odorizzi. Christian Javier emerged, and there's no spot for Jake in Houston's rotation. He might not be the pitcher we deserve, but he is the pitcher we need. I am going to leave that, and the reason is, is because the Houston Astros understand that you can never have too much pitching. And <laughs> the, they, unlike the Cardinals, have starting pitching depth, and Odorizzi did get hurt a weird injury earlier this year, but he's back, and they know that at some point, and they're going to get McCullers back, by the way, he's pretty close, but they, they understand that there is duress on a starting rotation over the course of the season. They're going to lose a guy and they want to have a guy to replace him. Even when we think the Cardinals have enough pitching, they never do. No, nobody ever does. No. no. The, even the Yankees right now, who have a magnificent first half going, they're going to need starting pitching too. Take it or leave it. Oh, sorry, I lost my place here. Take it or leave it. Barbashev is not on the roster on opening night. I'm going to take it. Yeah, I am too. Reluctantly. Yeah, I am too. We talked about this yesterday. I'm worried about the physicality. Where is it going to come from if Barbie's not there? But I also see him potentially being a chip that Doug Armstrong could move. Sell high. 26 goals, right? Career high. And a little over $2 million. If you combine, if you can get that $10 million that he and Vladdy's two salaries would combine to add up to, math is okay, not great, then that's your Matthew Kachuk salary. Do you think he'll wear seven here? No. Uh, I, I think like Chris Long, when I said, why don't you take 75? He said, I'm not an idiot. I think he'll, I think the reason that 19 hasn't been issued by the Blues is specifically for Matthew Kachuk. Do you think the jersey's already made and it's just hanging in there waiting? Yes, I do believe the press that, conference that is the case. Sweater? Yeah. Who was that? What's the, st- was and it the, the Mark way, McGuire story where they? Yeah. Were, Anaheim. Go, you can go ahead and tell because you'll yeah. remember it better. But it reminds me of that, that like the jer- the sweater yeah. has been pressed and it's ready to go. So 1997, after McGuire gets traded here, he in, in, in his hometown, he goes to what was then, I guess is now Angels Stadium, so that uh, he can record a spot. And he's in the Angels locker room and he's getting dressed ready for the, this commercial that he's going to make. And the Angels equipment guy says, hey, I got something for you. Goes back to his office and comes out with a McGuire 25 jersey. He said, we were so sure that we were going to get you that we had this made up. Because he was going to be a free agent after 97. He said, so we, we had this made up and I have, I've had this ready ever since. And wow. so that's how close they thought they were to trading for Mark McGuire in 97 before the Cardinals swooped in and made the move and then obviously signed him during that season too. So I wonder if there is a sweater that's just hanging out at Enterprise Center, already printed, already yep. sewn all up. What what sweater do we think it's going to be? What what color? What's what what do we think? I think Classic? it'll be the traditional, the one that they're wearing now, the the darker blue rather than the the baby blue. I think it'd be cool to have one of the retro yeah. ones. Yeah. And by the way, Brady in six years, when he gets here, he can have number seven because he's wearing number seven for Ottawa. Oh, there you go. Randy, I love the way you're thinking. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up next here on 101 ESPN, Yadier Molina isn't here. 
Will we? Uh, oh, what did we switch to? No, I think Brian oh. Jordan's coming up next. Oh, Brian, that's right. Brian Jordan is coming up next. Hi, man. Uh, uh, the former Cardinal, friend of the show. BJ is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Character and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. It pays to shop at Schnucks. Download the Schnucks Rewards app today. We are efforting Brian Jordan. Hopefully we'll be able to get him uh, next hour here on 101 ESPN. But an interesting thing is not happening with the Cardinals in that they aren't penciling Yadier Molina into their lineup on a regular basis for the first time since 2005. He was a part-time player with Mike Matheny in 2004 when he came up. And Michelle, ever since then, it's been Yachty, aside from a couple of injuries where Tony Cruz played a little bit, Gary Bennett played a little bit. But for the most part, for the last 18 years, it has been the Yadier Molina show behind the plate for the Cardinals. And it's weird to not have that be the case right now. It really is. We're getting a taste of what next season is going to feel like, right? And I think all of us just assumed that with this being Yadier Molina's final season, after they announced that, that you were going to see Yadi every single game. This is somebody that always wants to play regardless of injury, regardless of how he feels. He never wants to miss a pitch. And I assumed heading into this season that you were going to have to drag him out of the lineup because he knows that there's only a finite amount of times left for him to be able to go out there and compete. And we know how, how much Yadier Molina cares about that. But I think it's just a really big indication of what what's going on with him that he's not out there and that he's not playing through the pain that he has to be be at home right now and be missing these these moments with his teammates for him to not be there is a pretty big deal so seven or eight years ago he got into great shape he lost a lot of weight and this year he shows up late to spring training and you can tell that he's heavier than he's been in a long time then he doesn't play a lot he doesn't really complain about not playing a lot and all of a sudden he winds up with a sore knee on the IL and in Puerto Rico, not with the team, not rehabbing in St. Louis. That begets a lot of questions. So we asked John Denton, who covers the Cardinals for MLB.com, whether or not we might not see Yadier Molina again. Well, I think it would surprise every Cardinal fan, every you know everybody around the town if we didn't see him again. But I, I do believe that's a, a possibility. I think that's something people need to you know start wrapping their head around. We all know Yadi Molina; like he's going to give it everything he's got. He's going to give this every chance he's got. It's just you know it's not the slam dunk that it, it has been for the past 19 years. Uh, there, there's just a lot of factors going on right now. You know, one of the reasons they let him go back to Puerto Rico was to kind of get this mental refresh and try to reset and, you know, get himself ready for the stretch run. So, uh, like I said, if, if he didn't come back, everybody would just be blown away by that. But, it, you know, you, you've got to get your mind ready that, hey, that might be a possibility now. That would be stunning if we wouldn't see him again. Now, Adam Wainwright is best friends with Yadier Molina. And we asked Wayno yesterday, because this whole thing is shrouded in mystery, if this situation is a mystery for him, too. Yeah, it is. I mean, I think everybody's um, kind of waiting to see what'll happen with, with Yadier. And, and uh, I, I think he'll be back. I think he'll be back within within a few weeks. We just don't know when that will be. 
Uh, but I'm ready for him to come back, and I think our whole team is because we just, you know, we miss his leadership too. Uh, he's just a—he leads by example. He's got a quiet confidence about him, and uh, he just is a guy who, you know, when he steps up there to play catcher, the other team sees him. They know they can't steal. They know they can't get good secondaries. That means they're not going first to third. They—they they know he's going to block everything. It's just—it's uh, just a—he's a game changer guy. He is a game-changing guy in so many ways, and the presence that Yadier Molina brings with him is something that a lot of people can't replicate. We saw what Albert Pujols did. Just by entering the clubhouse, he got a standing ovation from his peers. Mm-hmm. Some guys just carry that weight. They they are just living legends, and Yadier Molina does that. And I think it's really interesting that we're getting all of these different points of view about when he could potentially come back. Adam Wainwright saying we, we hope he's back in, in a couple weeks, but we don't necessarily know yet. John Denton saying everybody is assuming that he's going to come back, but we also need to brace ourselves for the reality that he may not be, be back. And Randy, I just hope that whatever is ailing Yadier Molina, that he's taking care of it, that he's feeling good in, in every which way, and that he can return to the team, even if it's limited playing time. I just I think about the fact that this is the last stretch of baseball that not only fans get a chance to see and appreciate Yadier Molina, but he gets to feel that from the fans because he has given every ounce of himself to the St. Louis Cardinals organization and to St. Louis period. And I don't want him to miss that final stretch where anytime that he goes out there, he's getting a standing O from the crowd and he gets to really savor this last stretch. And and not only that, I want him to get the all-time battery record well, with Wayne but and that's the... Uh, one of two things I wanted to to touch on. Number one, I don't want to gloss over one of the things that John Denton said. Is that part of the reason that he's in Puerto Rico is for a mental reset? Mm-hmm. He's on the IL because of a sore knee. But when there's a mental reset, and the pandemic messed everybody up in some way, shape, form, or manner. The pandemic messed messed everybody up. And one of the things that's a result of the pandemic is that Yachty's family hasn't come back with him to St. Louis during the season like they used to do every year. They've stayed in Puerto Rico, and he loves his family, and he loves being around them. So... I would think that that would be part of a mental reset is just dealing with the idea of not being around your family. And even when his son, he suffered a broken arm. And if as a dad, you want to go there and be there. But he did fly back to Puerto Rico and missed several days with the ball club because his son had a broken arm. I think a lot of times Yachty probably would have said, okay, he's got a broken arm, put a cast on it, and then we'll see you later. The other part of this that I look at is, as you said, that record. Because those two have put so much, Wainwright and Molina have put so much into getting where they are. And now to be so close to having, and by the way, what they've done will never be surpassed again. But to be at the top, to be number one rather than number two, I would think based on Yachty's competitive personality would be something that he would really desire. And so for him to not be with Wainwright pursuing the all-time starts record with a, a pitcher and catcher says a lot about how he is doing physically and or mentally. And you hope that he's going to be able to be okay for for many different reasons, just from a human being standpoint. We want Yachty to be healthy mentally and physically, but... He's aware of the record. We know that he is, and we know that he knows when he needs to return and how many starts that they need in order for them to break it and surpass it. Um, I, I have no doubt that that's something that's in the back of his mind. However, we've talked to athletes about rehab and about what it takes mentally for you to get yourself there physically. And 
when I think about all of the pain that must be going on in Yadier Molina's knees and how many times he's been able to mentally overcome that or compartmentalize the pain physically in order for him to play. It's remarkable. We talk mm-hmm. about it all the time. I mean, this is a man, we talked about it with Adam Wainwright a couple weeks ago, that took a Jordan Hicks fastball to the unspeakable place yeah. on a man's body. Don't want to hear it. And came back and did it again. He walked out of surgery. This is the toughest guy that we've ever seen. But at some point in your career and in your life, you're like, is this really something that I'm going to summon and be able to overcome again? Or or do I I really have it right now? I have no doubt that when it comes down to it, Yachty's going to try to do everything that he can to get back and be there for his team and be there for Wayno and be there to break the record. But... I, I think we forget oftentimes, even when we've seen people do superhuman things, they are human beings. Yeah. And just go back to, and we've mentioned this before, Michelle, Yadier Molina started in 2004. Six years later, Buster Posey started as a catcher in Major <laughs> League Baseball. Six years after Yadi started, had a Hall of Fame career, retired, <laughs> and the year after that, Yadier Molina came back and is still playing. It's it's really hard to, to wrap your head around how iconic he's been. And how long he's been at it. It's crazy. And we both agree. We want Yachty to be healthy both physically and mentally. But I'm a baseball fan. I'm a Cardinal fan. I'm a Yachty or Molina fan. And I am alarmed that this is a mystery for Adam Wainwright. That tells me that something is amiss. That there isn't any communication between those two. And that for this situation, Adam Wainwright looks at it as a mystery. The way that I kind of took that comment, and there's a lot of different ways that you can slice it, is that his return is a mystery, that mm-hmm. he doesn't know when he'll be back. I I bet that those two have had some sort of communication, or at least Adam Wainwright has a better grasp than we do there's about no what's going about on. And I think he probably respects his team and his brother so much that he doesn't want to bring any of that to the forefront. And frankly, I, I don't want... I don't feel comfortable speculating on certain things that we might not have a great grasp of. But I think that his return is probably a mystery for everybody because the Yadier Molina that we know in the past, the return wasn't wasn't really the question. It was, is he going to come back too soon? Is yeah, he going to come yeah. back before he's ready? And I think the fact that you're not getting that same energy and that it's a question mark is unfamiliar territory for everybody. And so, with the Cardinals coming back to town tomorrow night to take on the Phillies, it's Yachty and Wayno Sock Night at the ballpark. You'll get your Yachty and Wayno socks as you enter the ballpark. You need those. You told Adam yesterday. I do, but he wants to give me a pair of his used socks. Wait, that's better. I'll take those if you don't want them. We need to get... How cool would it be to have used Adam Wainwright socks autographed? <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. Would you wear them out or would you display them? I would display them. Yeah. I, I, you know yeah. what you need to do? How do you explain wearing those out? You know what you need to do is when you, when you go golf with Greg Amzinger, you need to wear, wear them as the ultimate flex. Oh, that would be big time. That'd be great. Not only am I going to beat you, Greg, I'm going to do it channeling Uncle socks. Charlie. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to hit it 330 left center of the fairway, though. Wow. He's impressive. Uh, That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got The Fight here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Carriker and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carriker. 
Let's Fight on Carriker and Smallman here on 101 ESPN. It's 835 in St. Louis. That time check is brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Randy's challenger this morning is Bummer. Bummer is with us here on 101 ESPN. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Take me through the name Bummer. How did we get this? I have four older brothers, four older sisters. I bummed around with them when I was little. Or, or when my mom came home pregnant with her ninth kid, they said, what a bummer. <laughs> That's amazing. That is so good. Well, bummer, what a great nickname. I've never heard that before. What's your actual name? Dan Barry. Dan Barry is the government name. I like bummer better, so we're going to roll with that. Well, thank you for joining us, and good luck today. Thanks. Question number one for Bummer. In addition to Nolan Arenado, there are two other third basemen with multiple cycles. One was a Cardinals player, Ken Boyer. Who else accomplished the feat? Is it Mike Schmidt, Miguel Cabrera, or Adrian Beltre? Beltre. Satchel Page holds the Major League Baseball record for both the oldest debut and the oldest player to ever play. How old was Page when he made his debut? Was he 38, 40, or 42? 42. Bummer, how many consecutive Final Fours did the Houston squad, known as Phi Slamma Jamma, make it to? Two, three, or four? One, two... They made it to three. And Baker Mayfield is only the third ever quarterback to be drafted first overall and play just four or less seasons with the team that drafted him. Jamarcus Russell is one, playing just three seasons with Oakland. Who And what other quarterback fits that description? He's a 90s draft pick. So again, Baker Mayfield, the, only, the third quarterback ever to be picked first overall and play four or less seasons. One is Jamarcus Russell. What 90s draft pick is the third? Was it Rick Meyer, Jeff George, or Tim Couch? It, it was... Oh, God. Couch plays for Cleveland. Tim Couch. We have confirmed the score, and we have waved in Randy, who looks like he's going to golf today. We'll get that confirmation here in a second. That right? is a nice polo. God, that logo is just so killer. Do you think that everyone in St. Louis got a piece of gear from the PGA Championship? Yeah, somebody did. Everybody did. Got oh, something. Well, I, I got more than one. I spent a lot of money in that tent, let me tell you. Oh, yeah, me too. It was great. It was awesome. And yeah. you know what? It was the only place that was air-conditioned. That's true. It was yeah. so hot was that weekend. And uh, I went in the tent to get a reprieve and ended up spending a lot of cash. That's a good thing. Uh, Randy, are you golfing today? I might. Might head over to Whitmore. We'll see. There you go. Please say good morning to Bummer. Good morning, Bummer. How you doing? Good, Randy. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Bummer getting the nickname because he bummed around with his eight older siblings. Or he said maybe when his parents found out that his, his mother was pregnant with her ninth child, <laughs> said, what a bummer. <laughs> That's great. And bummer, God bless your mother. Yeah, nine. Yeah. Wow. No doubt. Man, I'm tired <clears throat> just thinking about that. Let me tell you. Randy, are you ready? Ready. Question number one. In addition to Nolan Arenado, there are two other third basemen with multiple cycles. Mm. One was a Cardinals player, Ken Boyer. Who else accomplished the feat? Ah, this is a, an interesting question. Multiple cycles by a third baseman. Um, I'll do the old lifeline here. Mike Schmidt, Miguel Cabrera, Adrian Beltre. Um, 
Seems like Adrian Beltre had at least one, so I'll go with him. Doesn't seem like Mike Schmidt would have hit many triples. Satchel Paige holds the Major League Baseball record for both the oldest debut and the oldest player to play. How old was Paige when he made that debut? Um, he was a Bill Veck sign, and I think he was 42, if I'm not mistaken. How many consecutive Final Fours did the Houston squad, known as Phi Slamma Jamma, make it to? Phi Slamma Jamma. So they had Akeem. They beat Mizzou here. Um, and they beat Georgetown. No, they lost to Georgetown. Was it two or three? I think that Akeem, in his three years, because uh, let's see, did he play as a freshman? I think he was a freshman when he beat up on Stepo. Then beat beat up on Stepo. They beat Stepo here. Um, final fours. I'm going to go that they went to three of them. Clyde the Glide and and Akeem. That was a pretty good team. Baker Mayfield is only the third ever quarterback to be picked first overall and play just four or less seasons with the team that drafted him. Hmm. Jamarcus Russell is one. Who is the other one? And they were a '90s quarterback draft pick. '90s quarterback draft pick, first overall. First overall, they played four or less seasons with the team that drafted them. Okay. Um, I th- right off the bat, I think of Jeff George. Um, so let's see. Uh, just trying to think of quarterback wasn't taken number one overall in '91. I don't think. 92. Um, okay, it's, well, number one overall. I will go just right off the top of my head here. I'm, I'm not going to think about all of the number ones in that decade. But 89 was Aikman. It wasn't him. 88, uh, first pick in the draft. Let's see if Irving Fryer was 84. 85 was Kenneth Sims. 86 um, 90s draft pick, Randy. Oh, 90s draft pick. Okay, so Jeff George would have been 90, 91. Uh, let's see, you had Kijana Carter. You had um, 90s. I'll I'll just go Jeff George. This was a great fight. Four to three to fi- the final score. Did Bummer beat Randy? Or is his day going to reflect his name? Rocky will ring the bell. Go crazy, folks! Go crazy! The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. Just win, baby. Bummer. It came down to the final question. Randy got it right. You didn't. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Hey, let me just shout out to a kid I just gave a lesson to. He's listening. Will, um, thank you so much for having me. I want a rematch. <laughs> Bummer, you got it. We appreciate you joining us. Yeah, and shout out to or, Will. Or better yet, come out of here and we'll we'll have a little golf fight. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm worried about that one. So <laughs> yeah, but you you know you'll see me at Whitmore pretty soon, Bummer. You got it, you guys. Thank you so much, and please holler again. Let me have another chance. <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you very much. See you later. Thanks, Bummer. Have a great day, Bummer. I'm 101 ESPN. <sighs> Bummer Barry, good guy. Great guy. And again, God bless his mother. Yeah, right. Nine kids. Oh, bummer. <laughs> it's hilarious. Great nickname. Great nickname. 
Randy with another victory and the Jacks. So in addition to Nolan Arenado, two other third basemen have multiple cycles in Major League Baseball. Ken Boyer is one. Adrian Beltre is the other. Satchel Paige holds the Major League Baseball record for both the oldest debut and the oldest player to ever play. He was 42 when he made his debut. And how old was he when he was the oldest player to play? Wasn't how old he came was he? In, he came in for one game for the Royals, and he was 59. Okay, <laughs> I was thinking Minnie Minoso might have been. Oh, really? Yeah, but because he played, I think in five different decades, and he pinch hit for the White Sox. Minnie Minoso pinch hit for the White Sox when he was 56. Okay. Man. Fi Slamma Jamma made it to three consecutive Final Fours. Randy got that one right. Well, he got all four right. Baker Mayfield is only the third ever quarterback to be picked first overall and played just four or less seasons with that team. Jamarcus Russell is one. He played three seasons with Oakland. And the other one is ILL Jeff George. I and I. <laughs> I remember in the uh, NFC playoff game here, first playoff game ever in St. Louis. Jeff George was quarterbacking the Vikings. And Charlie Clemens, number 56, hit him so hard that I literally thought that George's head was going to fall off. He looked like a bobblehead. He hit so hard and his head went to the side. And so I, that Monday, the following Monday after that game, I went to Charlie Clemens and I said, I literally thought you were going to knock his head off. And he said, yeah, I thought it was too. I almost got him. Almost got him. So like he was trying to knock his head off. Wow. (laughs) And you were at field level? No, I was upstairs, but it was unbelievable. But, that was just so obvious. But think hit. about that. From from upstairs, yeah. you could see yeah. and feel that hit. Yeah. And credit to Jeff George for bouncing back and continuing to play in that game. That's a line of toughness right there. You bet You bet it is. Yeah, he was a really, really tough guy. Kind of a brat, but a tough guy. <laughs> Coming up next, we're going to talk some blues hockey. Jeremy Rutherford is at the draft in Montreal. He is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Michelle and Randy, and to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line we go. Jeremy Rutherford is in Montreal for tonight's NHL draft. You can see it on ESPN or ESPN Plus. And JR is going to be there, and he'll have coverage at The Athletic. And, of course, on uh, Twitter at JP Rutherford. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Good morning, guys. How are you guys doing? Everything's great. And Michelle's got a scoop for you. Well, JR, I need Uh-oh. you to help me discern if this is a scoop or not, Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and normally you would be listening, but we know you're at the draft. So I, I'm presenting this to you for the first time. So last night I'm watching the Cardinals game. I get a notification on my phone. It says, Vladimir Tarasenko has liked your tweet. I'm like, what tweet could Vladdy have possibly liked of mine? So I click on it and it's a video that I had posted from the Stanley Cup parade back in 2019. It kind of went viral. It had, it had millions of views and impressions, but it's of him hugging a fan, signing an autograph. And really it was just a special moment between Vladdy and the crowd on that day. So I texted Randy and Matt and I go, Vladdy's on the move. He's going on the nostalgia tour. This is what I do when I think about college and all the good times. I go back and I look at photos and videos and I like them. So what do you think about this theory, JR? Do you think that Vladimir Tarasenko was thinking about the good times in St. Louis before he's ultimately on the move elsewhere? Yeah, wow. You know, when you first started laying that out, (laughs) when you first started laying that out, I I thought you might be saying, that that's going to pull him back to St. Louis and that he'd, he'd want to stay, but you went the other way and said he's going on that tour. 
you know, I think you're potentially right. Just, uh, you know, what we've been hearing for months and months is that uh, he wanted to follow through on the trade request. And I know the past couple months I've said to you guys that, hey, leave open the window. We don't know if they've had talks with Doug Armstrong. We don't know if he's changed his mind. It looked like he had a lot of fun this season, right? That's what everybody pointed out. A great season, a career year, 82 points. But at the end of the day, was it enough to turn around his disappointment in some of the things uh, that were mentioned at the time of the trade request? And it appears, you know, talking with people last night, and I have a story up at The Athletic today, that he still would like to see the trade go through. And will that happen today? Will that happen tomorrow at the draft? We don't know that. But what we do know that is if the Blues are going to move him, now would certainly be the best time because his stock is high and because you want to get things settled with your payroll, teams do, uh, way before you get to the start of the season. So if, if it's going to happen, Michelle, it looks like it could be soon. JR, it seems as if Doug Armstrong loves, love, loves Zach Bolduke. You had a chance to go visit him. What was uh, your takeaway from that visit? Yeah, great visit. He's about uh, an hour and 45 minutes away. And a uh, quick funny story, guys, is uh, so I get to the rental place in Canada, you know, 47 years old. I don't think I've ever driven in Canada. <laughs> and I get, to the, I get to the car rental place and they say, hey, we don't have any regular cars, but we have a Tesla for you. Which, hey, it sounds all fine and dandy, and it, but only if you know how to operate one. <laughs> and so I get into this Tesla and I can't find the phone charger. So now my phone's dying. I need my navigation to get to the place, right? And then secondly, I look at the car battery, and the car battery's dying. So, yeah, it's great we don't have gas, but now I'm driving two hours away, and I see the car just go from 76 to 70% to 65%. I'm like, am I going to get to see uh, Zach Bolduc and get back to Montreal? And so uh, we ended up making it, and, and, yeah, I had a great hour visit with the Blues. First-round pick from a year ago, 2021, uh, he put up uh, 55 goals, 99 points in 65 games, you know, Strong kid, 6'1", looks like he's a buck 85. He's going to be at the development camp next week, July 11th through the 14th at Centene. And he's going to come to training camp next year. And, you know, while uh, he, he said that uh, he's got aspirations of making the team, they all do, you know, at this young age, probably will go back to junior hockey with Quebec for one more season. We'll see what happens with him. But lots of stuff uh, from him that I'll have in the article at The Athletic next week. Looking forward to that, JR. I'm sure it's going to be great, and I'm glad you made it to your destination. It sounds like the cops are behind you. What's going on? You know, you can't step anywhere. You try to go in a hotel that's loud, you step outside, and the cops are behind you. I love it. coming after me. I don't know. I love it, JR. Well, uh, there's a lot of rumors out there as as we lead up to the draft. What are you hearing about Tory Crude? Could he be potentially a piece that Doug Armstrong moves? Well, you know, some people have asked that question the past month or so. What about moving Tory Krug? And I think where that stems from is, you know, you're up against the cap and you're trying to find ways to, uh, to, to fit everybody in. And if you can move Tory Krug's salary, which, you know, he signed that big deal when he came from Boston, $6.5 million per year, you know, it could free up some cap space if you're going to plop a, 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 a Scott Perinovich into that spot. I personally don't think that the Blues can do that. Maybe that's not what they're even eyeing just because of Perinovich's injury history and, you know, he hasn't yet to prove himself. And speaking of which, you're looking for help on that left side of the defense. You're not looking to move somebody. Uh, but there was a report yesterday from uh, uh, Daily Faceoff's Frank Saravelli that said the Blues have been gauging interest in Tory Krug. The one thing I can tell you guys is that uh, Tory Krug does have a full no-trade clause. Talked to some people yesterday. He has not been asked to move that. Obviously, if the Blues did have a deal in place, they could 
you know, make that happen quickly. Uh, but I don't believe that Tory Krug has any interest at this point in, in moving. But there is some speculation, as we saw yesterday. And, Jr., if you're going to move these players, Cherisenko and or Krug, what are the Blues looking for? Are they just looking for picks? Or is, are they looking for young assets? What would the Blues want out of these trades, aside from, obviously, cap room? Well, if they're going to you know, move a Tory Krug, I would think that they'd have a backup plan in place. As I mentioned, I don't think Yiprinovich is, is ready. So, you know, does a moving Tory Krug give you cap space to allow you to re-sign David Perron and then also make a deal for, let's say, Jacob Chikrin? And, you know, I did check on the Chikrin front, and they said that the Blues have not been involved. This is as of a couple of days ago uh, in talks for Chikrin. So, so, yeah, what are they looking for? You know, it, it all depends. I think it's going to hinge on the Tarasenko thing, whether or not they move him. Because if, if you move him, depending on what you get back, you could clear up some of the space. And you might not have to move some of the other players that they're talking about. So, you know, Randy, I, there's so many moving parts in uh, what they could be trying to get back in a deal for these guys. I think they all just kind of mesh together. Doug Armstrong has that blueprint in front of him. We don't have it. We can speculate on it. But he knows what the moving parts are. And that's why you hear bits and pieces come out with the speculation. And by the way, JR, I want to go back to Vladdy for a second because I think it was you that had last summer that Vladdy had pretty much said, I'll go anywhere. And is that right? Was that your report or was it somebody else's report that he had pretty much yeah, said? I, yeah, I mentioned that a source said that, uh, you know, hey, at this point, we'll go anywhere. So yeah. I think it was that. But you know what, Randy, if, if, if the case comes to him and says, hey, we want you to go to to Calgary, you know, can he say no to that? I guess he could, but yeah, but uh, yeah, at, at the time, uh, the camp said that uh, he would go anywhere. So, and my question would be: obviously, he would like to go and play with Panarin with the Rangers, and they're a team that has a chance to to do special things on the East Coast, maybe even the Devils. But I wonder how much of an appetite Vladdy would have to go to Raleigh, North Carolina. Yeah, we'll see. You know, they got a real good team down there, and and they're missing that piece. They're missing that elite score. I, I had the stat in there today. You know, that seven game series they lost to the New York Rangers. I think they scored. Uh, what, 14, 12 goals, and the uh, power play was 13%. Vladdy uh, could help that. The other team, and I mentioned in the article, I-, I think that he's really high on is Florida. They've undergone a coaching change. They were swept by Tampa. You know, does that change things? But, you know, look, Vladdy's in uh, the Florida area training. Uh, he has been the summer. You know, he likes the area. He likes the team. I think that would be a destination that he would prefer. So I think some of those others could be a fit, but I do think a team like Florida would be high on his list. JR, we do an exercise here on our show where we look at Blues players and we determine if they're a want or a need for the upcoming season. And Ivan Barbashev is an interesting case study. When you look at him, a team leading 160 hits, he had 60 points, 26 goals. When you look at Barbie, is he more of a want or a need for the St. Louis Blues? Yeah, no, I, I like him on the roster, and I think he's, he's helped, and we saw what he did during the Stanley Cup, and what a great year he had last year. My only thing with Barbashev, and I'd have him on my team any day of the week, the only thing with Barbashev is he's got one more year left on his deal, and we're talking about a guy who scored, what, 25, 26 goals, and I think he's wanted to be paid for a couple of years, you know, like a better player. In his mind, he was a better player. Now he feels like he's finally proved that, Michelle. And, yeah, he's not going to be a $5 million player, but with the year he had, could Ivan Barbashev get three and a half, three seven? Could he ask for four million? He potentially could. Now I don't think that would be something that the uh, Blues would even uh, entertain, would consider. So you know, the other way to look at it is you know trade him while his stock's high. And so I think that's why you hear Barbashev's name mentioned. Uh, want or a need? You know, I think he's the type of player that you do need on your team. But I think there are other players out there 
uh, that you could replace them if you moved them in the right deal. JR, last thing from me. Take it or leave it. The Blues use the 23rd pick in the first round tonight. I am going to leave it, and I'll say this. Doug Armstrong said he had some conversations recently about uh, you know moving up or down in the draft. To me, whenever they've had uh, a pick in the 20s, guys, They've moved up a couple spots. They've moved down a couple spots. You know, they've done that with several uh, drafts. So, you know, I, I think they'll probably pick in the first round, uh, but let's just say that uh, they'll move up or down because what I'm hearing is the top 17 or 18 picks are, are pretty good. There's not much there at 23. So if you get to 23 and those players are gone, you might want to move back. All right. JR, have a great time in Montreal, and we will uh, read the piece about Zach Bolduc next week, and you have a great piece up today about uh, the NHL draft and what you're hearing and not hearing about the Blues heading into the NHL draft. Have a great day. Yeah, thanks. You guys, too. Thank you, sir. That is Jeremy Rutherford. We're fortunate to have him with us after he had a Tesla that he didn't have enough charge for, he didn't think, but he did get back safely. That has to be a panicked feeling, though. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, especially if you've never driven one before. Yeah, I wouldn't know what to do. I wouldn't either. Have you ever been in a situation where you're running out of gas and you're in a remote area? Mm-hmm. That's an awful feeling. That is a bad feeling. It's even worse to run out of gas. When One time we were, when I was at ESPN, we were on a fall football tour and we were going down to Florida State to Tallahassee. And I flew from Hartford to Charlotte and then we were supposed to get a connecting flight. Because of a storm, we missed it. And we had to drive through the night from Charlotte to Tallahassee to make mm. the show in the morning. And we were driving through the most remote area of Georgia that could possibly exist. And I'm like, we're going to run out of gas. And we're this is where we die. This is where we're going to die. an awful feeling. There was, when I tell you nothing around, <laughs> there was nothing around. Yeah. Some of those states down there where they don't even have lights on the side of the highways. Yes. It's pretty pretty rough. And they have you take, it's, it's not even highways. It's almost like back roads. Right. Yeah, get you. yeah. Two lane roads. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, the Cardinals lose again last night. What do they need to do tonight to finally win one against Atlanta? That's coming your way. And we do have Brian Jordan coming up at 915. This is official here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seiden Stricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at SNPartners.com. in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Michelle Smallman and Randy Carricker. And Michelle, we all agree that the Cardinals need to go get a pitcher for the stretch run and they need to, to trade for somebody. It'll be closer to the deadline. Last year, the first pitcher traded after spring training came on July 22nd, and that was when... Let me uh, scroll down to July 22nd. The Tampa Bay Rays sent Joe Ryan to Minnesota in a trade that netted them Nelson Cruz. Then the next day, Rich Hill went to the Mets. So it was July 22nd. It was a week before the trade deadline. And it'll be the same way this year because you want teams to be desperate. You can maximize your return if you wait until that week before the deadline. So we are still at least a couple of weeks away from a starting pitcher probably being traded to the Cardinals. However... 
The Cardinals have scored four runs in their last four games. As we mentioned at the top of the show, if we combine the last four games, we would not have gotten 60-cent drinks at Mobile on the Run. And you told me that, and I clutched my pearls, Randy. I gasped. We're dehydrated here in St. Louis. We need that beverage from Mobile on the Run. And, you know, I know we're still early July. It's only July 7th. But so far, Randy, on this road trip, I'm getting big last June energy from the Cardinals. And I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. And here's one of the things that is coming to play is that Brendan Donovan is hitting less than 200 in July. Tommy Edmond is hitting less than 200 over the course of his last approximately 20 games. You're not getting what you got earlier out of Nolan Gorman. The young players, and Matthew, I want you to weigh in here too, the young players that the Cardinals were counting on when O'Neal and Bader and DeYoung and Yachty went down. By the way, the catching has been atrocious. But those young players are not stepping up to the plate. Well, they are stepping up to the plate, but they're not getting hits. Yeah, they're there. They're there. They're just not having production. Yeah, and the runner, how they're batting right now with the runners in scoring position is terrifying. Three and thirty-six in this last six-game stretch. Here's the thing: first three months of the season, really, pretty much through the first half of June, they were in a, they're an above-average team with runners in scoring position. That's how they were winning a lot of those games, and it's completely evaporated over the stretch. It's a huge reason, huge reason why. Even in the one game where they actually put up runs, they mm-hmm. went one and eleven with runners in actually in scoring position. If they're not hitting home runs right now. They're not scoring. So come on, Jeff Albert, pick it up. Yeah, what's going on here, Cardinals? And Randy, I look at this situation. The Cardinals have won six of their last seven. and Lost six of their last seven. Yeah, excuse me. Lost yeah. six of their last seven. Not one. Excuse me. Lost six of their last seven. I was looking at the one win versus the Phillies. And they have a tough schedule continuing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they so have... Up to the break, right? They have a four-game set versus Philadelphia starting on Friday. Then the Dodgers come to town. They close it out with the Reds. But they're already three games back of the Brewers, who as I look at their schedule, are pretty much cruising in, until the All-Star break. The Pirates, the Twins, and the Giants. And I just wonder if the Cardinals can't get some help or reverse their fortunes by the break. What sort of a deficit they're going to be in when they open the second half. Yeah, it could be something that is too dramatic for them to overcome with the pitching as it is because they're in no position to go on a streak and win 11 of 15, not when you have the starting pitching. Regardless of what the offense is doing, you don't have enough pitching to put together a streak. We get a text, Michelle, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. Is Noah Syndergaard an option? And if so, what would it take? And apparently one of the reasons that the Angels gave Syndergaard a one-year deal was because if they found themselves in the situation that they're in, they could move him and get some assets back in return. He's 5-7, and seven, but the, the record really doesn't indicate how he is pitched. He's got a 3.84 ERA. He is a guy that is able to miss bats. He's got uh, 55 strikeouts in 70 innings, and he's walked 16. He would seem to be what the doctor ordered as re- in regards to what it would take. The Cardinals probably have four untouchables right now in their system. Jordan Walker has moved up to number seven mm-hmm. on the MLB Pipeline Prospects list. You're, you're looking at Walker. You're looking at uh, Mason Wynn. You're looking at uh, Nolan Gorman. And you're probably looking at McGreevy at this point. But I would think if if I'm the Angels, I would want young pitching back in return. So if you're the Cardinals and uh, a Jake Woodford would do the trick... Depending on what we see from Libertor up until the break, maybe Libertor becomes a guy that you move. His stuff doesn't appear to be front of the rotation stuff. And as we've all said, the Cardinals are 
supposed to be all in this year trying to win a World Series. And if you're not that sure of Libertor as you were when you made the Randy Rosarena deal and you go ahead and you move him and you bring back a piece that helps you ultimately win, that is then looked at Mm -hmm. a shrewd move and all is forgiven when it comes to Randy Rosarena. Now, that's a big gamble that you would take. But, Randy, who would you rather have, Syndergaard or Mad Bum? I would rather have Mad Mad Bum because he always takes the ball. And Syndergaard does have his injury history. And Mad Bum, and I watched the other day, he's 91, 92. He's not throwing 94 like he used to. But he is a guy that has the ability to make pitches in the postseason. And he's proven that. He's proven to be a big game pitcher. Noah Syndergaard has, well, he pitched in the 2015 postseason for the Mets. But he's never had to be the guy. And Mad Bum has. And that's one of the reasons I like Mad Bum better. Yeah, you're on that. I would love to see it. Yeah, and a left-hander. Can't mm-hmm. hurt to have a left-hander either. No. But where after last night, yesterday we talked about the panic bus. Mm-hmm. And you weren't panicked at all. After last night, are you feeling a little bit more panicked about this team? No. And because so many guys are out with injuries? Guys out with injuries. And you're playing against, right now, the best team in baseball over the course of the last month and a half. They're 26-7. and seven. They're doing everything well. And I, I never fancied the Cardinals as being among the best teams in baseball. Well, right now, the Braves are the best team in baseball. I, I'll be more concerned if the same thing that happened on the road in Philadelphia happens here, if they lose two out of three against Philly here at home, or if they struggle against the Reds. There but, is there is a lot of concern, though, that they're not playing up to good teams. And I know that they are dealing with a lot yeah. of injuries, and there's glaring holes with the starting pitching, but... Yes, you want to feast on the Pirates and the Reds, but if you really are going to be a contender, you're going to have to be good teams. And you just have to concern yourself with that when you get there. Because once you get to the postseason, you have to win one more game than the other team did in a seven-game series. Are the Cardinals capable of winning four out of seven? If they if they fix their pitching, if they have Wainwright, Michaelis, Bumgarner, with the bullpen that they have and Arnato and Goldschmidt and hopefully Tommy Edmond, are they capable of winning four out of seven against those teams? I would suggest that they are. Yeah, this is still a really good team. Yeah. I have a lot of confidence in them, yeah. especially when healthy. Imagine if Harrison Bader returns and, and you know you shore up that defense. If Tyler O'Neill can return and give you the production that you saw from mm-hmm. him, especially down the stretch last year, that's a game changer as well. Same thing with Steven Matz. We haven't seen the best of him yet. There, there still is a lot of upside to what is already a pretty yeah. good team. And the old adage in the postseason is it's not the best team that always wins. It's the team playing the best. Cardinals are not going to be the best team. Regardless of what they do at the trade deadline, they are not going to be the best team in the National League. They are going to be the most talented team in the National League this year. So what they need to concern themselves with is playing the best when it matters the most. That's why last year I was so convinced if they could have beaten the Dodgers that they could have gone on a really deep run in the playoffs right. because they were playing the best. Yeah, and so that's what they'll have to hope for in 2022 as well. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, our friend Brian Jordan breaks broadcaster is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
The Cardinals try to salvage one from the Braves tonight, and the Braves go for the sweep, and they'll send Spencer Strider to the mound against Matthew Libertor. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our friend, Braves broadcaster, former Brave, former Cardinal Brian Jordan, joins us with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. Good morning, BJ. How are you doing? Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Everything's terrific. I wanted to know about Spencer Strider. I like his name a lot. <laughs> I like his mustache, man. Him and Nicholas could go at it. <laughs> I got to With that mustache comes a hundred and something mile an hour fastball <laughs> on a consistent basis. So he he's getting off to a great start. Brian, on June 1st, the Braves were 10 and a half games behind the Mets. Since then, Atlanta is 26 and 7. What changed? Well, I think guys figured out they can't hit the home runs. You know, and I know early in the season, everybody's complaining about a dead ball, dead ball. Well, as we know, the, the Braves, they hit a lot of home runs. They lead the National League right now at home runs. And the balls weren't going out early in the season. And next thing you know, you look up, they, they couldn't figure out how to score runs. And finally, they started shortening up their swing, putting the ball in play, and good things started happening. So they've been on a tear ever since. And now it seems like the ball has started to travel pretty good. So I think they took those dead balls and got rid of them. BJ, it's amazing to me that you look around that lineup and you don't, like the Cardinals have the guy right now in Paul Goldschmidt, who's an MVP. And I know Matt Olson has been terrific and has a bunch of doubles and Riley's doing his thing, but it seems like they're just so well balanced in the Braves lineup. You know what? That's It's no weakness. One through nine. Uh, somebody's going to do some damage. They're going to hurt you. Uh, and that's that's the big difference. As I look around the league, there's no weak spots in this praise lineup. So pitchers have to come in and say, who am I going to pick today to try to make outs? And you may not find that guy. I mean, Michael Harris, when he came up, the team's been, what, 27 and, and 10, I believe it is. He's made a huge difference defensively, but nobody expected him to come up from double A after missing a COVID year and perform as well as he has. I think he's really surprised everybody in the organization and by doing what he's doing he's really solidified this whole whole team really because starting rotation has been pitching great the bullpen despite yeah we were missing our clothes at Jansen but everybody's you know playing really good baseball now and the Cardinals are catching us at a hot time. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. You know, I compare Michael Harris in a way to when Vince Coleman came up here and sparked the Cardinals with the speed. And he, he wasn't the defender that Harris is. Harris is awesome defensively. But in terms of hitting at the top of the lineup and using his speed as a weapon, he really does that well. I'll bet he's a player that you love watching play. Oh, I do. I, I, I love him from day one when he came up and he made a catch where he, he almost made a bare hand catch diving forward. And that's the type of play he is. I always say athletes are going to figure it out. And, you know, he's figured out the hitting a lot quicker than I thought. But he's the team that really you – know, he's the guy that really energized this lineup. And they haven't looked back. I mean, Danzy Swanson has really stepped up as a leader of this ball club without Freddie Freeman now. Uh, not just defensively, but offensively. He's more consistent this year. And we're used to him being a streaky player. But I think he's figured it out. He's definitely should be uh, a starting shortstop in the All Star game. But him and Trey Turner having terrific years. 
Brian, I'm glad you brought up Freddie Freeman because I actually wanted to ask you about that that situation. We heard last week that Freddie Freeman fired his agent because there was um, some maybe withholding in the conversations that ultimately led him to leave Atlanta and go to the Dodgers. It seems like a, a real saga with what happened with Freddie Freeman. Can you give us your impression of how this went down, not only from your point of view, but from Atlanta's point of view? Well, I, I think his agent probably handled the situation uh, wrong. Uh, I understand you want all the money you can get, and that's that's great. But you also have to communicate with your client, you know, on a consistent basis. And I don't, I'm not sure that that happened. And, you know, talking to Freddie, it didn't happen. You know, he really didn't know the final offer of the Braves, which, you know, it goes back to me as a player. You got to control your own destiny. You got to stay in communication with, and he had such a great relationship with Brian Slicker, Alex Anthopoulos. You know, at some point, you got to pick up the phone and control your own destiny. But he didn't do that. He left it in his agent's hand, and his agent went for the money first. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't I guess, communicate with Freddie Freeman and decided he was going to take the Dodgers deal because it was six years and a lot more money, uh, which, you know, was deceiving to Freddie because he never knew the Braves' last and final offer because I think he wanted to be an Atlanta Brave at the end of the day. So, you know, these things happen. Uh, That's why I always warn players, hey, control your own destiny. Make sure you're in control of negotiations. Yeah, that's great advice, Brian. Obviously, he he must have trusted the wrong person. But I want to go back to when you first heard that he wasn't returning to the Braves. Were you really surprised by that? Oh, I was. I'm going to be honest. I was really floored by it. You know, he you know he spent his whole career there. I thought he was going to be that next Chipper Jones who was going to spend his whole career with one team. And, you know, that's very rare in Major League Baseball. But he had that opportunity, and I thought he really wanted it, especially coming off a world championship. Uh, you know, he's a guy that they would probably put a statue out in front of the stadium if he would have spent his whole career in Atlanta. But, unfortunately, it didn't happen. Uh but I love Alex Anthopoulos. He's not a guy that's going to sit on his hands and wait. And he went out and he was aggressive, brought Matt Olson, the hometown boy, back to Atlanta. And it's 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 working out. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of pressure on Matt Olson, but it seems like he's starting to relax a little bit and be himself. And the numbers are starting to show. Ryan Jordan with us on 101 ESPN. And BJ, last year the Braves made the moves after the Acuna injury and they go get Adam Duvall back and they get Solaire and they get Eddie Rosario and they get Jock Peterson. I don't think any of us thought when they made those moves. Heck, even when the playoffs started and then they had 88 wins. I don't know that many people picked the Braves to win the World Series. You mentioned Alex Anthopoulos. What is it about that front office and that manager that allows them to overcome so much adversity and pick the right guys to win with? You know, it's all about the team you have around him. And uh, he has a great scouting core that he trusts, uh, great analytical guys around him. And, man, he he, he doesn't miss. <laughs> it's like, you know, nobody expects you to go out and get four guys and all four come in and be successful. And that's what happened last year. Jock Peterson came in, energized the team first, and you go out, and how about this? You bring in an injured player in Rosario. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wasn't even ready to play it during that trade. But Solaire and bringing back Adam Duvall, I think, you know, it was huge. Did we think we were going to win a championship from that? No. But it was a different team once those guys started gelling. And, uh, 
man, give Alex all the credit in the world. I mean, I, I was hoping he picked some mega million numbers for me <laughs> after those trades. I mean, because it was perfect. It was on, and uh, man, it was a different ball club. Hey, and I want to ask you about the Cardinals, because I know in addition to doing the Braves broadcast, you always have one eye on the Cardinals. And BJ, when you look at the Cardinals lineup right now, on opening day, they had Yachty, they had DeYoung, they had Tyler O'Neill, they had Bader. So half of your starting eight in the field isn't there. Not an excuse, but just a, a point. And right now, as you mentioned, the Braves are the hottest team. The Cardinals are one of the coldest teams. But when the Cardinals are healthy, what do you think they have? Oh, they are a great team. I mean, they're definitely a playoff team by all means. I think the biggest thing that's hurting them is Molina's not in that lineup. A guy that can really control the starting rotation. You know, you got some young guys in that starting rotation that would really benefit from Molina. Uh, I think when they get healthy, O'Neal comes back and, and baited back in center field. I think they'll be fine. I mean, the young guys that they have now, you know, they get a chance to see what these guys really have, and and they have a lot. I like those young guys. They're playing some good baseball. They grind it out every at-bat. Donovan, uh, Gorman, I think, is going to be good. So I think they have a bright future. If they can get healthy, I think they'll make a run down the stretch. So, I mean, you look at that division, I mean, it's just Milwaukee that they have to, you know, go head-to-head against. And they've proven that they can do that. And you were in town a couple of weeks ago. We had a chance to catch up. Uh, you were in town for Demetrius Johnson's tournament. And you have your own foundation down in Atlanta, the Brian Jordan Foundation, which does amazing things. What's the latest thing going on with the Brian Jordan Foundation? Well, right now we're, we're in the process of uh, interviewing our scholarship recipients. And once we do that, we'll celebrate uh, in the pregame ceremony before Braves game uh, later this summer, congratulating those kids. So, I mean, that's that's next. And then we'll have our charity event in October, which is a golf tournament to raise money for more scholarships next year. What you do is amazing, and uh, we love you here in St. Louis. You know that, and we'll see you when you and the Braves come into town in a few weeks. Hey, looking forward to it, Randy. All right, yeah, BJ. Take care. Take care. Right. Have a great day. That uh, is our, our friend Brian Jordan. He does... Great work for the Braves on, uh, it was Sports South. I guess it's Valley Sports South right now, but he's he's doing games now. He's a busy guy. Tom Glavin was out for a while, and Brian had to do like a month straight of of games. He, he was pleading with Tommy Glavin to come back and give him a break. <laughs> well, he does a great job. So even if he wanted a break, I'm sure that the viewers didn't because he's awesome. And what great insight into the Freddie Freeman situation, yeah. you know, and, and great advice that he gives young players to be sure to be involved in things like that and control your own destiny. And I know you employ someone as your agent that you hopefully trust and you think is going to not only protect you, but listen to your wishes when they get into those negotiations. But you never really know how those things are going to go down if you're not involved. And especially if you're somebody like Freddie Freeman and you have a great relationship with with the, the power players and those negotiations. It just seems like such a shame that he really wanted to be there and would have accepted a deal and it didn't work out for him. When this all went down last week, I talked to a general manager, a major league general manager who's worked a lot with Boris. And he said that He's had players that literally on the night before they flew to a town to do a press conference to announce their signing, didn't know where they were flying to. Wow. Yeah. That's how much trust they put in the agents. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? It's shocking. A player would do that, but it, it does happen. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN.
We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Mobile on the Run. On the Run is your summertime snack and sip store. It is now time for... You're killing me, Smalls! Well, it finally happened yesterday. Randy Baker Mayfield found a new home. Congratulations to Baker. Baker. Charlotte. A lot of young people going to Charlotte. Yeah, it's a buzzing new metropolis. Well, the Cleveland Browns agreed to trade Baker Mayfield to the Carolina Panthers yesterday for a 2024 conditional draft pick. Adam Schefter, how did this go down? Deal between these two teams came close to happening a couple of weeks back, and talks never really evaporated. The two sides stayed in contact, and Carolina remained as really the best and lone hope for Baker Mayfield, where he would wind up, where he would be traded. And so in return, the Cleveland Browns get back a conditional 2024 fifth-round draft pick that could go up to a fourth-round draft pick based on playtime here. Obviously, the Browns will pay $10.5 million of Baker Mayfield's $18.85 million salary for the season. The Carolina Panthers are paying $4.85 million of Baker's salary, and Baker is giving back some money that he can earn in incentives. But now the Carolina Panthers have Baker Mayfield, and they have Sam Darnold, and they are planning to have a quarterback competition this summer. Best quarterback wins, but clearly they've been interested in Baker all along. You'd have to think that he will have a good shot of starting on opening day. And if he does start on opening day, it will be Carolina versus Cleveland. Baker will certainly have a lot to play for on opening day. Oh, the drama that he could be Mm -hmm. under center versus the Cleveland Browns week one. And the guy that they signed to replace him probably won't be there. Mm-hmm. So that'll be interesting. Yes, but can you imagine Baker Mayfield arriving to camp, seeing Sam Darnold, you kind of say, what's up? Mm-hmm. How you doing, bro? But then you're side-eyeing him the entire time. This is a, a number one overall pick, stare down. Right, yeah. Those two were battling to be the top pick in the draft four years ago. Yeah. And obviously Baker won out. And a Darnold lot of people, was number three, right? Yeah. yeah. So a lot of people thought that the the Browns should have taken Sam Darnold. And now you have two guys that a decision was made very quickly on. Darnold by the Jets, Baker by the Browns. And I'll be interested to see what happens with this competition because I still like both quarterbacks. I do too, but if you had to put your money on one, are you going Baker or are you going Darnold? I'm going Baker because of his mobility. I'm going Baker as well. Now you mentioned that whoever's under center for Carolina will face off against the Cleveland Browns week one. A lot of questions surrounding their quarterback situation. Dan Orlovsky, how do you think the Browns will handle that? Look to 2023. Listen, Jacoby Brissett's a good player. He's a backup quarterback in the NFL. And this is a football team that people are gonna say, well, go trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Why? Jimmy Garoppolo, while the Browns have a good roster, is not going to quarterback this football team better than Josh Allen's going to quarterback the Bills, or Patrick Mahomes is going to quarterback the Chiefs, or Lamar Jackson's going to quarterback the Baltimore Ravens. So while Jimmy Garoppolo might get you a couple more wins, he's not going to win anything of substance for you in Cleveland in comparison to not only the AFC South division, but the AFC as a whole conference-wise. So reality, and I'm not saying like you tank if you're Cleveland, 
But you went and got Deshaun Watson, the player, because you believe he narrows the gap between you and everybody else when it comes to superstar at that position. If you don't have Deshaun Watson, you start looking towards 2023 when he, hopefully for them, is back on the field playing. I get Dan Orlovsky because he was a quarterback, thinking that it's like tennis, where it's just one quarterback against the other. But the Cleveland Browns have Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt in the backfield. They've invested a lot in their backfield. Mm -hmm. They have a very good offensive line. They have a very good defense. Miles Garrett might be the best defensive player in the league. They've got really good cornerbacks. They brought back Jadavion Clowney. They have a lot of good elements that Jimmy Garoppolo would thrive with. Jimmy Garoppolo would be, he would make that team significantly better than Jacoby Brissett does. Uh, I, I, again, Dan Orlovsky, love you, but it's not a one-on-one -on -one matchup quarterback versus quarterback in the NFL. If it is, I'm going to go with you, Deshaun Watson, over Jimmy Garoppolo, but it's not. Jimmy Garoppolo has been to a Super Bowl. Jacoby Brissett hasn't had a winning record. We also haven't seen Deshaun Watson in a, in a calendar year. No, right. You know, we know what he was when he last played, but it's been a minute. Well, why are we so concerned that he, or why are we not concerned that there isn't going to be some sort of recalibration period for him, that he's just going to step in and be the quarterback that he was the last time he was under center? Yeah, he'll just, he'll be relaxed. Oh, man, Randy. Anyway. You're killing me, Smalls! Yeah, I'm not going to joke about that one. I'm not going to joke about that one. I wouldn't You're want someone Smalls. to do that to me. So we talk about things that we see here on social media all of the time. Uh, and you can follow us on social media, Randy at RJ Carricker, me at M. Smallman. But yesterday, social media was sent into a tizzy, Randy, because Aaron Rodgers revealed his very first tattoo. And boy, is it elaborate. Boy, is it intricate. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to try to describe it the best that I can, but really you need to just head to at Aaron Rodgers 12 on Instagram and get your eyes on it yourself because I'm not going to do a great job. But... It's a circle, and inside the circle is an eye that kind of looks like the eye from the book from Hocus Pocus. There's two lions. There's a, another circle on the bottom with some water. There's some what looks like constellations in there as well. There's a lot of arrows. There's a lot of other circles. There's what looks like a, a sundial maybe on the bottom. Anyway, here's what the caption says. First tattoo from the goat himself and then he tags the artist. Grateful for his mastery and friendship. There's a deep and meaningful story and connection to absolutely each element of this art piece and I'll share a little more about that one day. For now, just thankful and then he tags the artist for his patience and artistry. Hashtag tattoo. Hashtag astrology. Hashtag the elements hashtag okay uh nice work should have gone to big dave canoy at the ink spot in uh, either st peter's or out uh, near troy because big dave would have provided more color and uh, the artistry that big dave canoy provides is without peer and i'm a living breathing example of that with my st louis blues tattoo that by the way does have a deep and meaningful story in and of itself. Mine does, me and me and Aaron both. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would say that uh, it's very good. It's very well done. Yeah, it's very, it's very beautiful. Yeah. It's just confusing. It's busy. It is busy, but it's his entire forearm. So, yeah. it, it, you know, there had to be a lot there to cover that whole space, right? Yeah. Now, the best tweet that I saw about this was from someone called Kyle Madsen. I'll read the tweet. Mm -hmm. It says, tattoo artist, what do you want to do today? Aaron Rodgers, have you ever heard Kyrie Irving talk? Artist, say no more, fam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to get the scouting report from Chris Long. 
who is a tattoo connoisseur. I want to get his scouting report on this tattoo for Aaron Rodgers. Let me see if he's tweeted anything. Stand by. I hope okay. C-Long correctly agrees that this is a this is the most try-hard tattoo I've ever seen in my entire life. It is kind of try-hard. Chris like, Long, by like, the way, I is. get a hashtag astrology. The elements. I'll tell. Also, how unbelievably Instagram is it to be like? There's a lot of meaning here, but I'll I'll share that with you yeah. later. It's like, well, then why did you post about it now? Yeah, I mean, what do the two lions mean? I've, I, somebody down the street has two big giant lions on their porch. Do Do you think that he's a Leo like us, Randy? Let me Google his birthday. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, no. Hold there on, you stand go. by, stand by. Maybe he's astrology. A Leo. He did no. say astrology. No, no, no. December second. Okay. He's not a Leo. Okay. So then we don't know what it is. But you know the the eye is interesting to me. Is it I see everything? Is this some sort of a, I'm looking into the future, I guarantee you visionary? He, I guarantee you he would say something about opening his eye or like the third eye. There would be some kind of weird pseudo-spiritualist commentary about it that he'd have. Now, there is speculation that his Lord. new girlfriend, who's named Blue of Earth, is a witch. Blue of Earth. Her name is Blue of Earth, B-L-U. Blue of Earth. Sounds cute. She denied being a witch, but a lot of people said do. that she... <laughs> it sounds like what a witch would say. <laughs> they all do. You know what? I'm not a witch. <laughs> but her name's Blue of Earth. There's speculation that she's a witch. He's gone on... Remember he did the 12-day cleanse? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's been doing a lot of meditation. Now he gets the very deep and meaningful hashtag astrology, hashtag the elements... Um, tat, the long hair is into play there. I mean, we're seeing this whole new evolution of Aaron Rodgers. And you know what, Michelle? The Packers do seem to be cursed since 2010. There's something there. So you think that he and Blue of Earth are getting together to reverse the curse? It seems like that might be the case. I don't know if there's a Danica per- curse or... A little sorcery? Yeah. Randy, I heard you turn somebody into a Newt. Newt Rockney? No, no. I mean, he got better. Oh, but yeah, I heard you turn somebody into a Newt. <laughs> I don't know. But she she denies the rumors that she is a witch. She posted online on Instagram and said, P.S. My name is Blue, not Blue of Earth. I do not identify as a witch. Y'all are hilarious. Hmm. She doesn't identify as a witch. Very interesting mm-hmm. wording there in the sentence that you didn't, you didn't denounce, you know, practicing witchcraft or, you know, hanging out with, with, with the people in, uh, in, you know, hanging out in a coven necessarily. You just said... You are you're, you're it's it's weird. Yeah, I don't like the language there. There's good witches. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't just completely. Deny. Glenda, hello. She had great yeah. PR. Wizard of Oz. She, we're aware of a good witch. Yep, good witch of the east or west. Uh, west, west. west. So the yeah, good east. The, east. She's good of the east. Of the east. Yeah. Now her original birth name is Charlotte Barrington, and she changed it to Blue B L U. Maybe she's a part of the Beehive. No, because that would be B L U E. Oh, if you're okay. honoring Beyonce and Jay-Z's child. Yeah, right. I'm just so anyway, tossing other ideas. Anyway, well, go check out the tab. Yeah, Let I'm us intrigued. know what you think, I am everybody. totally intrigued. And we got to get, we'll get a scouting report from Christopher Long on the uh, the tat that Aaron Rodgers has. I'll say this. I've seen some really bad tats. Mm-hmm. This is this is art. It's very, it's very well done. It's very beautiful. It's very yeah. aesthetically pleasing. I just don't in any way, shape, or form know what it means. I would have liked to have seen some more color. Uh, I don't love color and tattoos. That's Uh-oh. just me, though. Blue note. If you're going to have a blue note, you better have blue. Well, yeah, Randy. You, well, for yours specifically, yeah. there had to be color. But I don't I don't dislike it at all. I just don't understand it either. 
I don't either, and I have one. How um, long do you think it would take for him to explain this? If someone asked you to explain your tattoo, you'd say, I made a bet, 2019, Blues won the Stanley Cup, the end. Yep. If we put the clock on Aaron Rodgers, how long do you think it will take him to explain the tat? I'm going to go with 15 minutes. I'm yeah. setting the over under at 32. Yeah, I'm, wow. I'm going to go. I'm going to go the over on Michelle, and I'm going to give you an over under the amount of times he says the word existential or existential plus or minus 12 and a half. Nice, good. Hey, kids, uh, that is your killing me, Spalls. We want you to head to the ballpark for the Budweiser Bash next Tuesday, Cards and Dodgers, and we're going to give away a four-pack of tickets for the Bud Bash with the Willie McGee bobblehead. You can get all the details for the Budweiser Bash nights at the ballpark now at cardinals.com slash promotions. And this week, we're giving away that four-pack of tickets, plus you get the Willie McGee bobblehead. It's for the game July 12th next Tuesday. Matthew Rocchio, what's our trivia question today? Far from the most impressive speedster, especially for those Cardinal teams of the day, and that's not necessarily the biggest hitter either, which did Willie McGee finish with more in his career? Triples or home runs? Ah, great one. Great one. Okay. All you need to do is text in 65780 and text your number 51. All you need to do is put in triples or home runs, and you might be the winner if you have it correct here on 101 ESPN. We'll have that. Plus, we're going to head down the stretch. A balloon party's coming up with T-Mac and Ajax, and we'll get you ready for that next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. On your calendar, if you're a Mizzou fan, the Mizzou Tiger Club has an event coming up on Thursday, July 28th at Llewellyn's in Webster Groves. The Mizzou Tiger Club will receive 20% of the proceeds from meals and drinks sold to people who tell their server they're there for the Mizzou Tiger Club Dine and Donate Day. They're going to be raffling off four bunker club passes to the November 25th Black Friday against Arkansas game with a parking pass. Raffle tickets will be given out at the door, so that's July 28th, and put that down in your calendar and support the Tiger Club by going to Llewellyn's for dinner in Webster Groves on July 28th. M-I-Z. Sounds like a fun time. Uh, should be good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Tiger Club does great work. So we're, uh, we're very happy with them. Hey, let's uh, circle back, Michelle, to the fact that the Cardinals are trying to avoid a four-game sweep tonight. Yeah. Atlanta's a really good team. They're the world champions. They've won 26-33 now, 26-7 and seven over the course of their last 33 games. And so they're really good. And the Cardinals, they need to hang around while they don't have their guys. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully they'll be able to handle Philadelphia, get two out of three against Philly, and get past the Dodgers. And then they'll have an easy schedule after the All-Star break. But the big thing is, is being able to stay within reasonable striking distance of the Brewers once you get to the break. And by the way, the Brewers, that that we talked about their tough part of the schedule, they were over 500 through the tough part of their schedule. Yeah. So they're in an easy portion of their schedule, too. And we talk about the Cardinals having the second easiest schedule the remainder of the season. I believe the Brewers have the fifth easiest. So they aren't going away. No, they're not. And they were dealing with injuries as well during that time. you know. And they're going to continue to get healthy as well. But you don't want to put yourself in a position like you did last year where you have to go on a historic winning streak in order to make the playoffs. And I don't think that the, this Cardinals team, 
well, I'm fingers crossed, will get in that large of a deficit. But they're already three games back, and mm-hmm. you still have two tough opponents before you close it out with the Reds to end the, the first half of the season before the All-Star break. So, And they're not giving you much reason right now to think that they're going to be able to turn it around. They, they need starting pitching help. The offense isn't there. The, the bullpen has been pretty strong for you. But I'm just hoping, Randy, that once they get home, that thing, their fortunes might change a little bit once they're back at Bush. And hopefully you see the good Steven Matz for a couple of starts in a row when he comes back. And hopefully Tyler O'Neill is a hot Tyler O'Neill when he comes back and they can get Bader back sooner rather than later. And then the big question mark, the big X factor, is Yachty. And Adam Wainwright said, yeah, we think that he'll be back. And John Denton said, Cardinal fans should prepare for him not coming back. And Yachty's situation, and Adam admitted this, it's a mystery. It's a mystery to everybody as to what his thought process, Yachty's thought process is right now. I hope he comes back because, as Adam pointed out, it's a different energy when Yadier Molina is there. The opposition looks at him differently mm-hmm. than they would any other catcher because regardless of what stage of his career he's in, regardless of what his health might look like, he still can pop up and throw you out. You're not going to try to steal as often on Yadier Molina as you might on another catcher. And I, I just also don't want him, from a personal standpoint, to miss this final stretch with the, with the team. He's mm-hmm. never going to be able to get this time back. And I want him to be able to savor it. And I want Cardinal fans to be given the opportunity to really show yeah. him the appreciation that he deserves. And the other part of this, and it's an unpleasant part, but you have to point it out, the Cardinals aren't getting major league catching. From Andrew Kisner. He's just not hitting. He's not very good defensively. They don't eat. That's why Austin Romine came up and played right away when he got called up because Kisner's just really bad right now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that he's ever going to be able to turn this around. It's when you have a, an OPS of 500 and you're hitting 175 or whatever, it's really hard to get out of that spiral. And he doesn't play very well defensively either. And it's been interesting because how many times over the past, however many years, did we have the conversation of the Cardinals need to play somebody else? They need to to find out who's going to be the mm-hmm. heir apparent to Yachty. And you realize what life is like without Yachty or Molina. Yeah. You really do realize that there is going to be a big gap and a big transition period because even a 75% Yachty is better than 100% of a lot of other guys. Right. And you, t- you could take 100% of Carson Kelly and Andrew Kisner. You could put their numbers together and they still wouldn't be very good. Those two guys together is what percent of of a Yachty? Of 100% Yachty? Yeah. Those two guys together are probably 55%? Man. And defensively, less. They're they're less than 50% of 100% defensive Yachty. Those two guys together. Oh, yeah. Because they can't throw, they can't dig balls out, they don't block balls well, they don't frame balls well. It's just just not great. Uh, Congrats to uh, Zamoria in St. Louis. Zamoria knew that Willie McGee had more triples. triples. Yeah, 94 to 78. How about that? Zamoria, congratulations. Yeah, had a way to go. Uh, We thank our producer engineer, the one, the only, Rocchio. Pleasure. You need to grow your hair super long. We need to have a no, Fabio no. type thing going. Here. I can show you the picture of when that happened. Oh, okay. It, like, listen, it, it works great, but here's the problem: you, you notice something. If you're gonna have like a, if you're gonna have like ponytail or like man bun length hair, whether you wear it down or up, you have to have facial hair, else it looks. Oh yeah. So weird, and I'm a baby face. I can't do. I can't grow okay. facial hair, Fair and enough. so I gotta, I gotta go short. But I do think if you're going to want to be called by. 
one name. Mm-hmm. You have to have a, a curated look. No, I do. I got, I got no a, question. I got, I got a sharp fade. I got, I got, I got a line. In, I got a line in my hair. Come on. I mean, Let come on Michelle now. be your consultant. I, I, I get that thing updated every two weeks at the barbershop. It's, it's not a bad look, but it looks more like a Matt than it does a singular wow. name, like a Madonna or Rihanna, wow. a Messi. You know what I'm saying? I wear, like, yeah. I wear, I wear a rock. I wear, like, pink, I wear pink shoes, and I get, I get nothing. I'm just for saying, it. if you want to be so bold to go by one name and one name only, like Beyonce, <laughs> you need to come correct with the All look. Right, You're right. Right. You're Fair right. enough. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> you got it. I'll see you tomorrow. We thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dom's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. And don't forget, BetOnline for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your fun? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.